Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Harrison Boom Podcast. What's the difference between CPM steels and regular steels? It's pretty much sprinkled in the sheet form, like the final form. It's actually sprinkled. And then... What, what is sprinkled? The elements are sprinkled. The elements. So, so the, steel the, is two the, or the more The iron, iron, carbon, the chromium... Um, vanadium manganese all that sort of stuff gets sprinkled evenly so that it's not all bunched together like some steels you'll see um the alloy banding in it where the cpm stuff is just very even so everything's just like um it's there's no weak spots or anything like that it says here cpm is the trademarked name for a process that is also called powdered metallurgy or PM steel. CPM makes the steel stronger than the same steel using a conventional steel manufacturing process. Which is... CPM makes the steel more resistant to breaking, fracturing or chipping. That's pretty much what I said. By by it being not more carbon at one end of the bar or to the other, so... So would would a knife maker like yourself prefer to use a CPM stock? A CPM stock as opposed to a regular steel stock. Definitely, um, it's it's more normally CPM steel is more wear resistant, so that's great for a, a knife properties. But it's also hell on the belts and equipment. So you'll because you go through you'll go through, steel right more wear resistant. So there's ah. hardness and toughness and wear resistance and corrosion resistance, and they're the <clears throat> They're the four main properties that of you look an, for of in the, of a knife. knife yeah. 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 So for those of you that have just joined us, um, we've come in mid-conversation. I'm sitting here with Luke Berkelmans from Make Smith Knives. And if you want to find Luke, you're on Instagram. Yep, I've got um, Instagram and Make and Facebook. Uh, Instagram is Make underscore Smith. 
and, and Facebook is just excellent. I think anyone that's just joined us for the chat can tell already that you know what you're talking about when it comes to making knives. Glad we got that out of the way. So let's start off at the beginning. So what got you into the idea of making knives? I mean, that's not something everyone wants to do in their spare time, right? Uh, I've always been a maker, I like creating things. Um, it's a it's a weird one. A friend, a friend of mine, uh, made a knife, and I told him I said I could do better than that, and he said no, you couldn't. So I uh, he's another another Dutch guy. So um, yeah, what's with the Dutch? I don't know. We just understand each other better. <laughs> um, so I kept going until he conceded that I was better than him. Um, Fair. And I've kept going, and it's a great community, and it's um, it's a good creative outlet, and it's really supportive. Um, got me through a really tough time too, and um, yeah, I, I sort of grew up in the not in the bush, but on bush blocks, and you know, you go down the the backyard and make a cubby with a knife, and I've travelled all, all around um, Australia on a motorbike and. Nice. Yeah, you're quite an adventurous guy, aren't you, in your spare time? I've seen a lot of your adventures where you'll just pack up a swag and head off on the bike. And Yeah, in, in yeah, uh, not as much as I'd like to, but yeah. No one ever does it as much as they'd like to. Or as much as I make out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, those, just those two motorbike trips around Australia. So the motivation really was spiteful. You wanted to prove that you could make... A quality knife, or were you? Friendly something competition. You were friendly competition. Uh, you know the society suppresses the you know why we like knives, and it's it's a bit of a I don't know one of those. I don't know why the idea of my my dad always carried a pocket knife or a Leatherman, a Leatherman fold out multi tool with a knife on it, right? And his dad, whenever I saw Dar. He, walking around in the garden, he always had a pocket knife or a leatherman on him, and I find like that was just an an old older generational thing, like to carry a pocket knife, to be handy, to be able to open packaging or or you know put a screw, a loose screw in, or it's like the older generation carried tools on them, mm-hmm. and then that seems to have almost been lost to this generation where everything's so disposable now you don't need to fix anything anymore and with that new way of thinking eliminates the need to carry those things or at least and people few, don't see the the need for you to be doing that and a few sort of you know bad eggs wreck it for everyone else too yeah. so you know yeah it's not i mean i don't think like laws and stuff you're not allowed be, to carry knives so yeah yeah. I don't think criminals should be carrying knives for obvious reasons, well, but I think you know if if, um, if say someone in my position who works in a trade environment, if I want to carry a pocket knife because I, I use a knife just as much as I use a hammer now, uh, everything comes in packages, everything needs to be opened, um, you know, and down to the material that we install as well, everything's getting thinner and lighter, and um, so you're more likely to cut something with a knife now, especially say you're wrapping a house and sarking. You know, it's so handy to have a pocket knife on you because sometimes the Stanley knives, the the amount of knife that sticks out of a Stanley knife just isn't enough to go through, like, say, insulation. Like, you have to kind of score it a few times, whereas a pocket knife goes straight through, you know. Wipe it on a bit of leather to sharpen it back up and away you go. And that seems to be getting less and less in society now. Yeah. You can you can be charged for having a, 
a pocket knife within or a Stanley knife within reach in your work van now if the cop so chooses to. But then the, the, the silly thing about that is criminals just get around that by carrying a screwdriver. Like a screwdriver is just as deadly you, as a pocket yeah, knife. If you want to hurt someone, you want to hurt someone. Yeah, it's a yeah. common misconception. Um, I, I meet people and they're like, oh, you make knives or do you stab people? Like, oh, okay, that's, um, that's an interesting jump and you're probably the reason why, you know. There is that, yeah, that opinion out there. Um, so now that you've gotten into, so, so we've, we've established how you got started. Um, should we tell people about how we met? Yeah. So I was across a number of different Facebook groups that are for outdoors enthusiasts, you know, camping, hiking, um, everyday carry items, knives, you know, backpacks. This about five years ago? Yeah, probably going back about that far, yeah. And um, I was just sort of getting into the, the idea of self-reliance, survival, um, that sort of stuff. And it, you know, I think it probably stemmed from cash up watching... <coughs> cash up trading. Yeah, it probably stemmed from watching way too much Bear Grylls. Um, and then, yeah. Terrible knives, by the way, people. Don't buy, don't <laughs> yeah. buy anything by... Bear Grylls. Gerber's Bear Grylls line is, yeah, it's pretty... Look, it's good entry-level stuff. I'll say that. For people just... You said that. I didn't say that. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm happy to stand by it. I think that for people that are just getting into the idea of self-reliance, going into the bush, taking a a knife and an axe... Buy more of people. Go to... Go to your total tools. Go. Buy like, oh, you can't write. We can't, can't. Can we say brand names here? You can say brand names. Yeah. yeah. Just go to your local tool shop and buy an eighteen dollar Mora, and um, or Baco make the same. Baco, yeah, Baco yeah, make yeah. the same. They, yeah. they make a the same knife. It's eighteen dollars. Buy, buy one of those, and that's all the knife you need camping. Or yeah. buy one of mine. Hey, you know. Yeah, well, yeah that's yeah. what I was about I, to say. I'm under, yeah. I'm under no illusions that what I make is a luxury item. And in this sort of They're designed era, to be used, right? Well, they're designed to be used. They'd be designed, uh, you know, the, the fantasy is that they get handed down to, you know, generations. That's what I'm making for. But um, I'm under no illusion that they're a handmade knife that people can, don't need. They really don't need what I make. And it's a luxury item. It's a wantful thing that people will see and they, they need it in their life. So that's what I'm making. But it's not a... It's definitely a luxury item to have. I feel like if you need to cut something, you need what you make. You can have a box cutter. You can have a mora. Sell your items, bro. This I, is your I'm, chance to... No, no, no. It's, <laughs> I, look, I, I do it. I, if I wanted to People, get... Luke makes amazing quality products. And if, if you're in the market for a good bushcraft survival knife, Go to Luke's page. Hunting and camping, outdoors mm. knives is yeah. what I. It's what I do, and it's uh, a lot of people do kitchen knives, and I, I eat cereal for dinner most nights, so I'm not a cooker, <laughs> um, but I am a. Avid go go out, go out into Australia on a motorbike by myself for 21 days, sort of thing. Well, that's um, what I like about what you make is you make things that you yourself find useful based mm. on your practical uses for those. I, I try and sell them at a price point that. If I add up hours that I put into a knife and the materials and then I have a little equation for how long the knife is and how much time I put into it and my time and then I come up with a number and I throw that number out the window and I choose a lesser number because I couldn't sell it for what it's cost me to make. So the I'm, I'm doing it as a hobby still, um, but I probably make about 
200 knives a year at least. Um, and, and if I wanted to be rich, I wouldn't be a knife maker. But it's led to um, running classes and having events at my property. Um, I just have I had the fourth waterfall road hammer in, so I have about uh, this one was about What's a hammer in. Hammer in is uh, an American term that we've pinched, um, and we you have a, a, a gathering of blacksmiths or knife makers. Uh, so we've got people from all over the East Coast came to my property two weeks ago, and we had yeah uh, camping, blacksmithing demos, uh, mat- free material, lots of hands-on experience for the weekend bonfires. Camping. And so, what would what would you do with people at this hammer in? What what would they learn? Because they're coming to your property, so, right, to make yeah, a knife. Is that well? Right? They're, they're there's the opportunity to, to make. There's there's coal forge. So there's a good mix of old and new. There's like coal forges and Wayne Schmidt running. I think there were like five coal forges running. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he had a offside of Rob with him. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we had uh, a setup in the shed. I just bought an induction forge, which is a 15-kilowatt system. And you literally pass steel through copper coils and it heats up instantly so about three seconds and you're at about 800 degrees so you can start forging straight away oh wow so um, the coil induction forge is magic like, it works with magic <laughs> black magic yeah. yeah so you pass the steel through it and yeah, open no contact and there's coils and yeah. no you don't contact anything no. and it just in the air will heat up the steel yeah have you tried putting other things in there yeah how'd yeah. that go this doesn't warm up you willy no <laughs> It's on a cold morning. And it was very high too, and I'm very short. So <laughs> it was a real stretch to not electrocute myself. And kind of, yeah. So on but a if cold you had morning, like a, you can't a, use it to warm up. If you had a Prince up. Albert, you'd probably blow the end of your knob off. But anyway. <laughs> um, but it's, so it will heat up steel in, almost steel. instantaneously to hundreds yeah. of degrees so that you can start forging. Yeah, like, would you say that there's... Um, would you, do you enjoy the older methods of coal forging? Like, Do you think that the traditional things are a little bit more interesting? So or? I'll... When I work with steel, I'll make my own steel. So I make my own layered steel. So I forge uh, steel, multiple different layers together um, and been playing with that for years. Um, So I've got power hammer, 20-ton press, a rolling mill, uh, built the rolling mill, built the press. And so that's high-carbon steel. I can't... Layering uh, high-carbon stainless steels is a lot more difficult, a lot more failures why because the steels react differently and they they pull apart and they the expansion and contraction laminate, rate, yeah they just want to because you're not welding you're bonding metal together so every time you see like a a, a damascus um for people mosaic, know, damascus is layered steel into a pattern yeah you get you well yeah you are upset people saying damascus but if you if you have a mosaic damascus Compared to just laid steel, um, you've got tiled, pattern welded steel joined on a thirty degree angle, end to end. So there's like I'm just, I won't ever make it, but I'll make laid steel where it's got a lineal strength to it. A lineal strength. Okay. So it's not as pretty, but it, you can you can. And mess what's around. the process of how do you layer steel? What's that process called? So, just layered steel it's just it's it's bonded walk metal. me through it's, the process of how you would layer a steel to make a knife 
so if you make like Sanmai or Gomai, Sanmai I think is three in Japanese, and that means three layers. Gomai is five. So five, uh, say three layers, you have either a soft outer jacket or you have um, or a high carbon with a higher nickel content to give a contrast when you etch it. But you prep the steel. Um, you start off with something about 40 mil by 100 and you make th- three of them exactly the same size in three different... S- so you have like a sandwich, like if you want to think of it as a, two pieces of bread and a core, and you clean up the faces that are going to be welded to like, you don't have to go silly, probably like 50 grit. Put them together. I seam weld my billets. I seam weld my billets. Harry's just giving me pointers on how to talk to Yeah, the just mic. pull the microphone close to yeah, your yeah, face. Yeah, like yeah. I'm just yeah. licking it before, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. somewhere in between that would be good. You, um, you... You put it together as you want it to come out. The same ratio that you start with is the same ratio that you finish with. So if you have like a two okay. to one ratio, you end up with a two to one ratio in a thinner bar. Um, it all depends on the geometry so of the So you've knife. got these three pieces of steel. Yep. What bonds them together? So I TIG weld around the outside. Okay. Fully seam weld it. So you seam That's weld the metals together yep. when Just, they're in a bar form. Yep, in a block form. In a block so form. So stacked yep. together like a sandwich. I TIG weld around the outside. I use a um, just a fusion method, so I'm not actually adding any mild steel or anything like that. Uh, that stops oxygen, oxygen getting in when it's in the forge. So high carbon steels are done in a forge. You can do them in induction, um, but it's better in a forge because there's no atmosphere inside the forge because the fire's burning all the um, oxygen. And the oxygen will cause the like um, scale to form and then the material won't bond together. So I, I fully airtight weld the bar, the, the three pieces together. I put in the forge. I bring it up to about 1,250 degrees. And then I set the welds gently with a hammer. And you can just feel it when it goes together. But it's not welding as in welding. It's bonded. But it's bonded to a point where you, it's impossible to pull it apart. And then I draw that into a bar. I, I, you can put a pattern in it at that point, draw it into a bar. And then I sort of do a stock removal. So a pattern means so you can twist it or bend it or you can drill holes in it. You can do a ladder pattern. Mm-hmm. You can do raindrop. Um, even the shape of the dies will determine the pattern you get on the blade. What's the shape of the die? So the when you have a drawing die, it's like a I don't know twenty mil round bar on top and bottom. So it squishes the bar in a, in a certain direction that you want to extrude the metal. Okay. And then I go from uh, a 20 ton hydraulic press with drawing dies and flattening dies depending on the panel I want to a rolling mill which I built and you just sort of run it through and it just extrudes the metal like they do in the actual um, foundries but wow, on a okay. lot smaller level and just with your body weight standing on the roller and what will determine the different patterns how, how do you get like if you wanted what you just mentioned how aggressively you go and the size of the dies and um, yeah so the more layers you do, if you, if you do 20 layers of alternating, say, uh, 1084, 1095, and 15N20, the 15N20's got a higher nickel content. It will be show a lot through. brighter. Then the, it won't go as black as the... Yeah, um, it'll show through. It'll be like a brighter steel at the yeah, end. Yeah, right? so you get a contrast. Um, you can add nickel in there. I've been adding stainless steel mesh in there, having a play with that. Um, but all that's done in a... In a 
like a gas forge and then when you go to like stainless steels um, you have an electric kiln because it's got to go to much higher temps it's got to sit around 1100 for up to 45 minutes at that temp so that you get the best out of that steel okay. and then it's plate quenched so the different whatever you layer the steels whatever you use to layer the steels will determine how you forge and the temperatures that you use to forge uh, you can forge at pretty high temps you can, when you after you set the weld at 1200 you can be forging in between 800 and 1000 degrees so that's your working range, probably up to eleven hundred. You're saying if you use a stainless steel, it needs to be higher for longer. Oh no, that's if I if you go from a I'm jumping all the shop. I've I apologise to the listener. I'll not finish sentences and <laughs> and, and I'm just trying to keep up with the mix, process here. Mix so. stories together, and I apologise in advance. And and Harry's looking at me. He's, you know, he's very intense. Yeah. No one's going to accept your apologies. So just yeah. move forward. So when when you are forging. A stainless steel and you need a higher temperature for longer I won't lay a high, st- high high carbon I have but the success rate is just it's not uh, there no. is it a and, much harder metal and to also work yeah it doesn't move the same it's a lot harder to move under a press or um, some people have nailed it a lot of factories and you have like zero atmosphere chambers and stuff like that and, and huge amounts of pressure um, so they can sort of force metal to do what they yeah. want, like bend yeah, to like their Like Takafu and stuff will, will yeah. make whatever steel. They, they'll join copper and brass and, and stainlesses together in a way that's just not possible at home. At home yeah, because you just can't replicate yeah. the conditions of a factory workshop in it, your backyard, can you? No, and they're making a sheet form and they're making massive quantities of it and they've invested in millions of dollars worth of equipment. And, and research and development. Yeah, and yeah success and lots of failures and working out how to do it yeah yeah yeah. which is is i imagine would be um near impossible for a a small to medium sized knife maker to replicate those conditions and also to be able to use those materials effectively so when you are going into the stainless realm is there a big jump between big process difference yeah like powdered stainless steels as opposed to like carbon no. steels, is there a big jump in terms of uh, equipment you need and the processes required to to, to to sort of forge those knives? Totally different process. Oh, not totally different, but um, there's still a, a a quench and a tempering cycle. Um, most stainlesses require cryo cycle too, which is a in between quenching after you bring it up to an oscillizing temperature and hold it. They've got a hold time. Sometimes they've got multiple hold points and then a hold time at a austenizing temp which is usually over a thousand degrees for a stainless inside a kiln the the knife is already cut out it's it's there's no pre-grinding on it and it's got all the holes it needs to have because you can't drill it afterwards. once it's once it's hardened yeah, it's hard it. to drill yeah it's impossible so you, you're better off doing all of the preliminary work of shaping the knife before Apart it goes from in. bevels because you can't so when you sh- the stainless steel knife is in tool wrap inside the forge so there's no atmosphere there's an oxygen inside the forge but if you have it inside tool wrap there's less oxygen and you've got you're less trying to minimize of... the scale build up on the knife yeah scale and decarbonization so um the process is you bring up to temp as soon as that temp and it's finished its cycle time you pull it out and you put the knife in the tool wrap still in between two big plates of aluminium and you blast it with cold air 
you take it out of the tour wrap as soon as it's room temperature you put it in um, either liquid nitrogen or dry ice oh so, wow you have to buy dry ice now yeah and that's the cheaper option um, you can <laughs> you can some stainless steels like 12c 27 14c 28m um, you can and even nitro v you can get away with putting in the freezer for about an hour and then they go into a tempering cycle, which is... Is that like a, putting them in the freezer, does that just slowly bring down the temperature? It, it converts retained austenite to martensite. That's the process. It's, it's bringing it back. So if you go higher, a lot of carbon steels have a lot... A lot of high carbon stainless steels have a lot less carbon in it than high carbon steels. They've got about 0.6 compared to about 0.1 in carbon steels. Um, Carbon gives it its strength. That's what. That's the where the magic is. Um, so, um, what was I going to say? You, we were talking about the process of oh, stainless steel. Some stainless steels can be put in the freezer because yeah. you're trying to convert austenite. Yeah, retained retained austenite. Retained austenite to myonite, which is a crystalline structure in the steel. Okay, and, and it you, sounds like I know more than what I know. <laughs> is that something to do with the carbides in the steel? No, or? that's something different again, and that's that's a new sort of territory where, like, the powdered steel technologies will form carbides which have different properties and create can. Um, so the process know, of, of slow quenching. Sorry, sorry. So the because I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. So the process right, of I'm slow quenching some steels in the freezer. Right, it is it, it's a cryo. Yeah. It's not. It's not a part of the quench. It's, it's a, a cryo, cryo process. Okay, yeah. okay. Is, I suppose it is part of the quench. Yeah. Yeah, and then that is to make convert, it tougher. So you you make it tougher. Make it tougher. Okay, that's yeah. what you're doing. You're making yeah. the steel you're tougher also, by doing that. Yeah, you can also some steels will gain an extra couple of Rockwell after cryo. So okay. Um, and Rockwell is a scale that hardness is measured on. Yeah. So diamond is one end and butter is at the other end. Basically, actually, I don't. I don't know what it's actually th- based on. I think it goes up to sixty. I, I could be wrong. Higher, higher than sixty. Yeah. Because I think Rockwell is like so. You got up you, to I a diamond B, hard B or something. B and isn't C it? scale. Yeah. So B is for softer metals. It's for like the. I don't know. Does it go un- up to under twenty five? Oh, no, I think it goes it. higher again. Um, <laughs> he's gonna. He's gonna go. These these numbers don't mean anything. Um, um, there's there's basically most, the, most the god particle at one end and CPM steels at the other end. Yeah. Um, most of the um, most of the knives I make are around sixty one Rockwell to give it a scope. If you go buy a knife from a store, a really good store, even they're about fifty five Rockwell. It's a big difference in between. So what happens is on the C scale, you have a diamond and it puts 150 kilos onto the diamond, onto your knife, and it measures the, it's a special angle on the diamond, and it measures how far it goes into the steel with the weight on it. Until it stops at the 150, yeah. So for those that don't know, the Rockwell scale is a hardness scale based on the indentation hardness of a material. And Mm. what you're saying is they use a diamond and a certain amount of weight to measure that. On the B scale, they use a round ball a hardened ball and on the C scale they use a diamond yeah okay. and it's a special shape and they put 150 kilos on I've got a Rockwell tester at home from yeah A is a diamond B is a ball uh, C is a S- spherical diamond so is D E there's all these different scale of hardnesses to measure different C's, materials C is right? a diamond yeah yeah C is a diamond B is the hardened ball yeah you were talking about yeah 
um, and they use like they use that on copper alloys, softer metals. Yeah. Uh, a is a diamond, but that's so, um, so you can layer up a, a knife and put copper in between the layers. As long as it's not on the cutting edge, it doesn't matter. And you yeah, so the C the C scale is to measure steel, hard cast irons, titanium. The A scale A scale is to use is used on cemented carbides and thin steel, what's, shallow case hardened steels. What's the range of C? The range of C major load is sixty, uh, whereas oh sorry uh, that's A A is the major load of sixty. B is a hundred and C is one fifty. One fifty goes up. Yeah, oh, yeah. So that's the that's so the. It's always a balance with you can make knives harder, but they become brittle like glass. That's the problem. So that's what the you pull a knife out of a cryo or yeah. See, there's not of, much point quench. making a super hard knife because then if you use brittle. use it for any sort of like it'll chip any time you try and bend break. it, it's going to snap, right? Yeah. Um, that's what the whereas, tempering process is. You, you you're sacrificing a few Rockwell. And you're going from a 65 back to a 62 or a 64 back to a 62 and you're gaining toughness so um the ability to bend and press flex and flex yeah, yeah. take take yeah. so and the, but the, and the, the opposite's true as well like you don't want a knife that's too soft because you're forever sharpening it doesn't hold an edge mm. it might be super tough and bendable but then you suffer edge retention issues right whereas you're constantly sharpening a soft metal so you, you want them a, a lot of makers will a lot of factory knives will err on the side of caution and make knives a little bit softer softer because it's better for people to resharpen knives than it is for them. a breaker knife yeah. so a lot of knives are under 50 rockwell even good ones from your, your local knife shop so i guess the process of what we're talking about here with cryo freezing knives and the tempering process and quenching steels is to bring up the toughness to try and get the most out of the steel that you can before you make it brittle the, the cryo process is because you take it to such a high temp same with high carbon steels if you took it to too high a temp you'd have to bring it back further you can't take it back past zero normally with high carbon knives but with the stainless knives it's just how they do it i was always under the impression and i could be way wrong here but i was always under the impression that during the forging process the idea of heating the steel up is to get all of the steel molecules further apart making them easier and more malleable they do become and then freezing them contracts all of them like like a muscle being flexed contracts all of those all of those molecules back super tight and that increases the toughness and then sometimes manufacturers will do a third tempering process to like what you were saying before, which is to kind of bring that rock well back down again so that the, the, the freezing makes it super hard and then they'll, they'll re-temper it maybe um, it's really a, a call, called a room temper where they will heat the metal up and then let it cool to room temperature. Mm. And that kind of brings that rock well back down again to make it, it still retains the kind of toughness, but then without the brittleness. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, but there's you there's normally two tempering cycles on any of the steels um some of the stainless steels when i do a batch i'll test i'll do a lower temp temper and then test it in between and then adjust the next tempering cycle to according to what i want the steel to be at are you testing for hardness along this process yeah, yeah, yeah. in between okay and do you just use like a, a i've seen like a, a table mounted punch no i've got just... a i've got one from like the early 1900s um i used to be a so i'm my background is well, horticulturalist mechanic tool maker and then i 
currently work in civil and this has sort of just been a, an accumulation of all the skills built my own house and stuff like that um, it's accumulation of all the skills that I've got it's it's design it's it's metalwork it's wood and that's a plane going over here <laughs> yeah um, yeah it's someone's coming back from Bali so I'm happy for them um, yeah so the 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 knife making hobby is obviously an accumulation of all the skills you've picked up over the years um, getting back to this nail punch sorry the hardness punch from the 1900s do you have a lot of old stuff do you like using old equipment I do I think there's a um, there's something beautiful about the older drills and um, there's like love in the design it's not just how, how quickly can we make this so there is a few old tools in the workshop do you enjoy the process of using like modern lathes and lasers and other stuff that's kind of geeky and cool as well yeah I, I just recently like I said bought the induction forge and I've picked up a, a fiber laser a 30 watt fiber laser so that will engrave logos into hardened steel um, with like next to no effort uh, I, I haven't been putting logos on anything because I don't want to get to the point where I finish a knife and then try and etch a logo on um, electro etch one on and it stuffed the knife so I've never seen an electro etch that looks come great. out as clean as a laser etch no it just more or less can't happen yeah there are ways of getting past it you can put nail polish on and then use a little laser to laser clean up the lines or whatever well just burn the what you do, what you want off and then electro etch that that's a good way of doing it but um, it's, a, it's a long process and you can still stuff a knife so yeah um, I've just been collecting tools and equipment and everything I sort of make goes back into materials and more tools and putting what's, on what's events. the knife steel you prefer to use the most are you still using 1085 uh, I, I will use 1084 and 15 and 20 and a range of other things and 80 CRV2 for layered steel and for, for people high that don't know are they they're all high carbon is that is that's a high carbon but is that like a, a basic tool steel yeah it's a basic it's a basic tool steel like what you'd make a hammer or a chisel out of no hammer uh chisel's probably higher uh, probably about the same probably a 1084 sort of so the 1084 is a 10 series and then the 84 stands for 0.84 percent carbon so 1095 0.95 yeah 0.5 uh, I, I, I thought 1095 was used as a spring steel in cars, leaf springs. No, so spring steels are also high carbon, but they're also other different elements in it to make it more springy. So they're like your SUP9, your 5160 steels, okay. yep. um, which I also use. So if I make a big chopper, I make a machete, it'll be out of a spring steel. New, new stock, not recycled stuff. And the advantage of using a spring steel is because it's got those more other elements added resistance. to it, more impact resistance and probably flexibility, or yep, which is what you'd want in a larger knife, right? You don't want it to sort of be brittle because it will just snap yep. off. And you can when still you, you can still achieve um, fifty nine Rockwell safely with those yep. steels, yeah. So what what is ten eighty four, ten eighty five, ten ninety five used for mainly? Ten ninety five. Yeah. Your SE knives. Yeah. But like that's, they're, that's they're originally 
a tool steel, right? Yes, like tool steel. A workshop steel for making tools. Yep. Okay. Um, so coming from a background of tool making, we would make punch and dies out of K110, which is D2, um, lots of that sort of... What's with the... What's with the knife industry hate for D2? It's because a lot of Chinese makers make knives and put D2 on it and they're potentially not D2 and it gives a bad rep to D2. But there's nothing really wrong it's also with a, D2. It's, it's borderline, it's right on the borderline of being a stainless. So and a carbon, yeah. Yeah, so anything over 13, 13, 14% is considered a stainless and the D2s can vary for their percentages of... But they're just of, that's for, This is for chromium, yeah. sorry. This is... The chromium the, in the steel makes it stainless. Yes. Yeah. Not not, not completely true. Not completely true. The new steels with the powdered steel technology, they can form carbides which give it more stain resistance and stuff like that. So Yeah, we probably should clarify for the listeners that the amount of chromium in steel is what specifies it as a stainless. But then there's... Now, new steels like H1N1, I think it is, or H1, Spyderco Spyderco make a salt series and a couple of their like dive or tactical knives. I think it's called H1 or N1. I'm probably going to get murdered for this in the comments. I think there's like Zephanet or something like that. Yeah, and that's that's a nitrogen-based steel with no chromium or no iron in it. Yeah. I don't even know how they make that. Probably won't hold an edge. Basically... I wouldn't say it's stainless, but it's rust-proof or oxidization-proof steel, mm. um, which is is in the realm of stainless steels. If you're looking for a stain-resistant steel or a, or a there's always know, a like payoff. A, so a rust-resistant steel. The four things is edge retention, um, toughness, hardness, and ease of ease of sharpening. There's also there's, LC200N. It's another one. Yeah. Yeah, that's like very like stain salt resi- and stain but resistant. There's always trade-offs. Stain resistance is you're going to trade off for hardness and toughness straight away. You're going to lose yeah, edge just, retention. Yeah, because it's no iron in it, so it makes it harder to get yeah. that yeah, that that edge retention. Again, that's that's the thing that people are always looking for is that next Big. I, I remember S when I first started getting S35 into the VN. S S thirty V was like a big deal. Then it went to S thirty five VN, and that was like huge. And all these makers were, you know, saying S thirty five VNs like you know they've added vanadium to S thirty V basically, and now it's like this super steel. To, and then to, it went to S ninety V, and then S one ten V, and then they came out with L Max and twenty CV and three M three ninety and all of these. The the demand for these super powdered steels that was so tightly held together, amazing edge retention, high corrosion resistance. Yeah. Um, the, the demand was there. And then all of these metal companies, steel producers, were all scrambling to make the next super steel. And now we've landed on MagnaCut. And MagnaCut seems to be the hype steel everyone's yeah. talking s- about at the moment. Yeah, Dr. Laren Thomas came up with that one. And the new one he's come up with is... Um, Apex Ultra, I think it isn't. So it's a forgeable high carbon. It sounds carbon. like an Avengers movie. Yeah, it's a, he's a well, he's knife steel nerds. So he's called himself a nerd. So yeah, <laughs> awesome names. Um, <laughs> Apex Ultra sounds like something Captain America would have to fight. Um, Talk to me about it. What what is it? What makes it different? 
it's a extremely high carbon so i think it's like 1.2 percent carbon i'm going to wreck that but it's quite high um and it's forgeable and is easily worked so it's and it's readily available so they've um put it onto the market and Don't, don't worry about getting things wrong, man. No one's listening to this podcast <laughs> anyway. Um, so the the amount of carbon is obviously going to drastically affect the outcome of the steel. It's yes, yes, and no. Same with the um, amount of chromium you put you in. Can right? have if you, if you have put a too much chromium, it's going to be soft as butter. Yeah. Yeah, you can have saturated, but super and stainless. Then I think the they keep saying that ten eighty four. We're going to lose so many people talking shop but you can have 1084 or we're going to gain heaps of knife nerds yeah, you can have, like, i can't believe he said that <laughs> at, at 10 1084 a, a 1084 steel is said to be great because at saturation the carbon will dissolve into that much iron and it will be completely absorbed 100 percent. there will be no residual carbon that can't attach to the iron so that's where you run into problems and stuff like that. So 1095's got a bit more and you've got to do something with that carbon. So it's not great to have this carbon that hasn't bonded to the iron. I feel like um, 1084 as well, it's an easier steel for people to work with. It's you a can, beginner You can steel. heat it up to where it becomes not magnetized. That's when you know it's at the right temperature. Yeah. Then it's a very, there's a very standard step-by-step process for hardening the yep. steel working with it i feel like no whole there's time. a lot of information really. out there on yep. 1084 815 degrees for a couple of minutes into canola oil yeah any sort of you've, oil you've yeah. got a you've yep. got a hardened blade um, yep. temper that yeah it's what i was making for years um i'll still do there's nothing wrong with it it's still no a great no steel. it's still great yeah it's just easy for people to get into knife making using that steel it's got a very, very basic, easy to work with yeah, can't mess sort of it up. profile. You can't really mess it up. No. Um, and that's what it's all Have about. Have you and managed what... to mess it up along the way? Not that I'm going to admit there... it. I'm not going to admit it on here, no. No, that's what we're here for. <laughs> this is where you lay out all your dirty laundry. Mm, don't have time for that. Tell us about when you've messed up. Tell us about when you've when knife making hasn't sold, gone the way you wanted it to. I sold a knife to Harry Boone and he broke it. <laughs> That's my fault. I was prying with the knife. You were you were log splitting and then you I was, tried yeah. to get it out violently. So I'd batoned it into I was splitting firewood in the backyard for my chimina to I love chiminas. I think they're the best thing ever. Yeah, bonfires. They're, they're bonfires are better. Yeah, but but it's a bonfire that's contained. There's mm-hmm. no mess. It no heats mess up either. it heats up three hundred and sixty degrees. It's brilliant. They're brilliant. And they're cool. Like people come over and they're like, Oh, that's cool. Because not, not many people have them, right? And I would highly suggest if you want to make a talking point at your next barbecue, light up a chimina. I've got a I've got a cast I've iron got a, one. It's I've, so I've cool. I've got a, a, a brazier, a wood-fired um, spa at home. So I've... okay, all right. Yours is bigger. I get it. Yeah. Uh, so I was um, I was chopping firewood in the backyard, and then the knife got stuck, and then I tried to like just pry the firewood apart. And then the knife snapped, but that's oh, like, yeah. that's user error. Mm, took 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 a bend before it snapped, so I was 
the grain looks. It did good. actually take it did yeah. actually take a bend. Yeah, so, so I should have at that point stopped bending no, it. No, it was already too late. If it <laughs> took a bend, <laughs> well, Must it didn't bend and then stay there, which means that the tempering process was right. It bent and then came back, and then I bent it again, and that's when it snapped. Yeah. That's my fault. I think it was fault. like two point five mil stainless, fourteen C twenty eight M steel. Oh, really Everything's like got its limitations. It was actually beautifully it was nice made. Oh, no. Yeah, it was nice. Um, my to, fault. I was like, thought, yeah, it was something a bit I was testing its, proof. I was testing its durability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I found out just how durable it is. And now we know. Now thank we you, know. Thank you for doing the testing. <laughs> exactly. At your expense. I did the torture testing at my own oh. expense to find out. But that's not that's not a manufacturer error. That's a boon error. Do, do we skip over? We actually skipped over the whole. We, we're terrible at this. We, we skipped over skip. the whole. How we know how each we other? Met. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. How I met your mother. Mm, um, Harry bought my first knife off me. The very first knife, <laughs> I was like, put it up, and the the wife was like, put this much on it. And I was like, oh, that's too much. Anyway, what was it like? Forty dollars. Don't talk about it. Including anyway, I can't remember. It was like, Harry little... was like, yep, I'll take it. And I was like blown away. And that's, I probably started selling knives too early. And this was about five years ago. And yeah, so he bought that knife. That was the first knife I ever sold. To give context, and, uh, Luke put an ad up on a Facebook group, uh, basically like, trying to sell this, this knife. And um, I just saw this. He felt sorry I for me. I saw this. Uh, I saw this thing that this, uh, it was not pretty. But I was like, you know what? Ouch. You know I'm sitting what? right here. <laughs> you he, he can't look at me now. Well, look at look at how far you've come, right? But I was like, you know yeah. what? This guy's battling. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this knife and hopefully this guy will be not deterred. He will he will go, Oh look, I can do this yeah. and then he will pursue his dreams. Full sense of security. His potential dreams of getting into the oh. knife making industry. And so I did a good thing and I at the time was like, you know what? Um, I'll either inspire this guy to keep going or at least I'll make a friend out of it. And ironically, Got both. both happened. We are now lifelong friends and Lovers. you are a, yeah. Shh, don't say that out loud on the podcast. I have to edit that out. And, uh, and now a knife maker. And to be honest, I could not be more proud to have been it's part of proud at least. moment. Yeah, the start can, of that journey can, for we you. We can hug after and you give me a pat on the back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I see where you've come in your craft now. Like, if, if anyone wants to go to, to Make Smith on my Instagram, you can see the journey. See, yeah. mate, but see the quality that you're producing now. And, and at the price point, it's arguably some of the best value for money knives on the market. Still a luxury item, people. Still a luxury item. Buy, buy bread for your family. You know? <laughs> yeah, get that bread first. Yeah, get but, that bread. but the thing is, if I walk into. Um, if I walk into you know those those stores that sell chefs knives, like kitchen kitchen yeah, stores, yeah. right? Like they're, they're in Westfields and stuff. You walk in and the knife shop, yeah, 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 yeah. And you look at some of the crap you can buy for two or three hundred dollars a knife. And they're they're fifty Rockwell or something like that. Yeah, I've test, and they're I've just cheap stainless. I've tested three hundred dollar knives and lasered on patterns to yeah. make you buy it. Yeah, it's not. But they're cheap. They're cheap stainless yeah. knives that are mass produced. Or you could buy, say, um, what does one of your hunting knives go for? Like around 250 300 bucks? About 350 now. 350 now. 350 okay. including postage, stainless steel. Um, yeah. And, and you get the... I've made a lot of friends because 
you go through the whole process and you get updates and well i'd say i'd say but um i'm probably using an old price scale back when you were probably using more also also covid happened so you know COVID, <laughs> yeah. covid prices covid price but steel's harder to come by and also steel's you were, jumped 100 percent. 100 percent. 100 percent. it's gone since up. It's COVID. doubled it's doubled it's doubled so to starting price of a piece of steel stainless steel before i even start making a knife out of it is 60 dollars for the sheet just no just for the piece of steel that i'm going to use off what? the bar so i'm starting with a piece of steel this big 250, he's holding his hands mil. up about 10 inches apart by two and a half inches wide yeah it's um, oddly exactly the felic, scale that i'm yeah. very familiar with yeah um so that's 60 dollars 60 bucks straight for, away for a piece of steel arguably the length 30 of the to 60 so you can you can get like a nitro v which would be about um, thirty dollars or something like CPM. Nitro V is a bit more of a that's a premium budget. steel, right? No, it's more budget. Is Nitro V budget? Now? Budget now, yeah. Budget. What? Nitro V and fourteen C twenty eight N and D two and four forty C got a bad rep too from Chinese companies, but four forty C is actually good steel. Nothing against China. No, nothing against China. Yeah. I'm you know. But stop saying steels are what they aren't. Simple. So. So it's, it, but four forty C is a very like nowadays that's like Oz eight kind of in that realm of like budget it's a steel high, high right? stain resistance. But then there's some there's some companies out there like sharpen. Buck that do a brilliant heat treat on it and they get the most out of the four forty C. And there's different types of four forty two. Hey, there's like four forty A, four forty B. Yeah, and same with Oz. There's Oz eight, Oz ten. The C stands for the carbon content. I guess right, right, high right. carbon, 440C carbon. Uh, or the N normally stands stand for nitrogen. For I have no idea. Blueberries. We're just making it up. They've got blueberries in it. Yeah, they put blueberries in it. Yeah, that's why it's no good it's for 440 nice. blueberries. Yeah. 440 blueberries had um, to perish for you to have this knife. You can tell the coffee's really kicking in now. <laughs> that's not what I put in it. <laughs> I'm just waiting for him to fall asleep. Again, again, really I, I was playing. I was playing asleep last night. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop! <laughs> I'm probably going to get letters for those jokes now. Oh dear! Yeah, consent, consent. <laughs> it was consensual. Yeah, yeah. it's consensual sleep play. Um, so the when you have these hammer ins and these people come to learn to make knives, what is the process that you walk them through? Do you take them from basic well, it's, bar it's, stock or, or a sheet metal, cutting it out? Multiple demos throughout the day. There's more people there. There's a, a, a the collective of skill and talent is crazy. Um, it's some of the best knife. And that's just you. In a, before yeah, we uh, even get to the other people that are there contributing, much more talented and skillful people than me attend and they run demos um some people run the coal forges for two days there's a guy making hammers and swords for two days just giving demos hammers and swords yeah very different things but um swords are in high demand in today's society i believe they, they're coming back they're coming back yeah. i like swords i think they're cool I've, i built a hammer rack so i'm collecting hammers and stuff now you should try and build a I'm building a sword. A forge. katana, a traditional Japanese fighting sword. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I'm it's it's literally the, the, the reason I got into why we all love knives, isn't it? We watch, yeah. we watch, we're all nerds and we watch manga. We watch and, movies. Yeah, and anime it, and we want to watch... You know what got me into knives, honestly, and this is so sad to admit, was the <laughs> Rambo movies. 
and he'd pull out these fucking things with the compass on them and man watching that as a kid I was like that's sick that's what a knife should be. It should be able to start a car for you. I think, and I think make an espresso the, and tell you where you're going in the bush. All the manga and anime and stuff that I watched as a kid. Um, my property's sort of changed in the last four years, and it's just it's developed into like uh, revolving around the hobby. So there's a huge. For those who don't know and won't look at the Facebook or Instagram, uh, I've got a. 350, people, will, people will look. 350 square meter shed. Um, there's a house in the back of it with, you know, two story, 155 square meter house built in the back of it, this big shed. Um, cars and motorbikes, and then about a th- more than a third of the workshop is set up for knife making. Um, and there's an outdoor forging, about 40 meters away, there's an outdoor forging workshop, and then a, a insulated box grinding room with three grinders in it or four grinders in it now um, just for to keep the dust away from you know the motorbikes and stuff like that mm. so all the forging and stuff happens in the shed in the in the big shed and then the grinding and outdoor forging area is away from the shed um, and there's like a tiny home on the block that I built and lived in um, I had a, a friend living with me for a couple of two and a half years Matt from RMK he was making all of his leather from your yeah. From well, his residence on your property, yeah. he was producing He's, some really high quality leather goods. Still is, still yeah. is. I've got wallet in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Got the. I don't know if you've seen the little plug for Matt here from Matt. RMK Leatherworks. Does he does some is, amazing leather stuff? Yeah. I've, I've got to be honest. I have always preferred Kydex as a material for knife sheaths, um, but I did I did get a bussy knife years ago um in an exchange with an american guy because bussy's an american Mm. and i got matt to do a sheath for it and then i sold it on sold it because it the knife didn't have a sheath and i was like oh kydex just doesn't really suit this knife it was like a really cool like a bowie knife it needed a leather sheath reached out to matt and bussy is very hard pressed to get um him to do a custom sheath these days people but yeah definitely yeah. reach out well and it wasn't easy even one. back then when he yeah. was less busy but the bussy is a a hard knife to make a sheath for out of leather because the mm. the the stock is very thick on the knife yep so the welt's so got to be thicker yeah, yeah yeah and he had to make quite a thick sheath for it and then he had to use a specific type of sewing machine and um a lot I, went, I went into it but he produced the most beautiful leather sheath i've ever seen for yeah. this knife and when I sold the knife, the guy that bought it said, I would have bought this just for the sheath. Yeah, it, so he it, does do very good work. A, a lot of the time that Matt will make a sheath for a knife, the, um, that's a, that's, that was pre, pre-pandemic and it was when it was a joke and I got him to put... The, there's a COVID-19, like a, um, what you would imagine. So this is a wallet that I'm looking at. There's a, like a germ kind of um, pressed into the... The outline of a of a cartoon germ, and it says COVID. Obviously, it wasn't a joke for a lot of people. So then it says, "Stay home, please wash off your hands." For fuck's sake! And then um, the Make Smith logo in the in the wallet. Very funny, and a lot of cash in here for a guy that doesn't sell drugs. The pandemic wasn't a joke, but people thinking that the response to the pandemic was appropriate was a joke. The, the, the level of, yeah. The level of hype the common cold got mm. was ridiculous through COVID. Yeah. Yeah. 
The, and amazingly, the, um, influenza just completely went away for the time of COVID. Almost never, no stats on influenza. Amazing. Yeah. Um, maybe we should shut down the entire economy every time there's a, a bad spicy cough going around. Moving on. Um, <clears throat> the pandemic played a lot of havoc in terms of getting materials into the country because obviously when there's a respiratory illness traveling around from country to country, especially through trade you know, and shipping routes, there's a lot of um, hesitation to bring in things from a particular country out of fear of spreading more pandemic, right? Or a good and excuse. Yeah, yeah. Well, to, to uh, raise the price and... Yeah, well, well, it's hard not to raise prices when materials are more scarce and staff is non-existent, right? Yeah. Um, and so I can understand why things are more expensive now. But through the pandemic, man, everything got hit. You know, you, you were talking about the price of steel went up. <clears throat> we couldn't even get steel. Couldn't even get timber. Timber, yeah. timber went through the roof. Um, everything, everything associated with except for our um, day-to-day manufacturing was completely three or except for our wages went through the roof. Uh, yeah, I think pre uh, pandemic I was definitely earning less as mm-hmm. a subcontractor, and then post pandemic I've just noticed that the market has increased. But that's, I mean, that's inflation. Like you, you have to increase rates when inflation increases the cost of living, right? I live in a, a rural residential area, so eight, lots of acreage. Um, I'm on two and a half acres on the side of Mount Injury. There's a waterfall just off my block. There's walking trails just up the road. Like, pandemic would have been paradise for you. It was. I was quite happy. I was still working. Mm. Um, I had no. I wasn't made to take anything I didn't want to take, and. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Me too, wasn't, bro. Me wasn't, too. Wasn't. Yeah. Um, it wasn't bad, um, but I can imagine. I sympathise with people living in cities where you can't go out, where you can't go get coffee or food, and that's that's the you know lifestyle, and that's what you. That's how you socialise. That's everything. Um, I'm quite happy. I'm professional. <laughs> My phone's on do not disturb and on silent, so I don't know how I'm getting a phone call. Answer it. Answer it. He's live. So it would have been hard for people that hit densely populated areas. And Well, one thing I didn't understand was how the vaccine permitted you to go and socialize, right? So I couldn't go to the pub until, uh, unless I was double vaxxed. Mm. And people were checking the vaccine passports on your phone, your certificate, right? Uh, and they would scan it at the front door and make sure you were double vaxxed. And everyone had a fake one, right? Like, let's just put it out there. I had one. Heaps of people faked them. It was so easy to get a fake one. But um, why? I don't understand why it was a condition of entry to be double vaxxed when the whole point of the, the marketing surrounding why you would get the vaccine would be to protect yourself, right? So why would it matter if you went into a room full of unvaccinated people? If you've been vaccinated mm. and the idea is now you're protected and you're going to get less symptoms, why does it now matter who you associate with? And then people would say, oh, mm-hmm. it would prevent the spread. Well, 
scientifically that didn't happen. That There's no data to support no. the fact that it's it none prevented before spread. and none after. Yeah, same with the masks. Like, yeah. at what point do we as a as a society just come to grips with the fact and admit to each other that Too the much pandemic? Pride. I don't think some people. The pandemic ever... was a failure. No, the way no. we handled it, the advice that we gave each other, the stuff that we got from the news. Uh, so so-called professional health experts. When are we just going to admit that that was a failure? People have too much pride, and they still think they've done it for the right reasons. I think I can respect that. Yeah, I can and I, I'm that. okay. Like I've got lots of friends that didn't have to get it and went and got it, and um, I respect their decision. Um, if I had a friend that wanted to get it and couldn't get to a doctor's and wanted me to drive them, I'd probably drive someone there because the placebo effect of it might help them mentally i don't know but i would just encourage people to do their own research um well, a lot of okay. things weren't adding up so I was the just people like, most at risk of the pandemic were the immunocompromised and the elderly so why were we isolating young healthy people wasn't the the average death rate 65 65 which is over mm. the average death and rate. the average death rate was like 0.03 yeah. percent amongst that yeah, community I'm, I'm yeah i've got scrapbooks of screen, so many screenshots yeah, yeah. and it's just but i just man i was so over the nightly news yeah constantly giving us the death toll of the week or the day or whatever or how many cases italy, nobody gave a fuck italy went from like official number was like seventy-seven thousand to the actual number of deaths from COVID was like 7,000. Went from 77 to about 7,000. Italy has a rapidly aging population. Population. Yeah. Um, the average person the, smokes over there. Like it's, they, they're not, they're not as, um, they're not as adverse to cigarettes as mm -hmm. we are here. And it, it, given yeah, context. It's a different, it's a different lifestyle. So you I've got yeah. a needle phobia too. Mm. Paranoid of needles. I broke my, I uh, had a tree fall on me on my block. Jesus, you okay? Is that no, I, bro happened? I broke my leg and I Is... flipped. I cut a tree and it flipped over a power line and then landed on me from six meters up. Oh. So I was wondering what me. it was that I happened threw to the, you. I threw the chainsaw as I saw it. I'm like, oh, don't get hurt. Really? I threw the chainsaw in front of me and the tip was still spinning. The bar was still <gasps> spinning and a tip dug into the ground and then spun around, hit me in the side of the head as oh. I dived out of the way. So I caught this and then I caught the tree on my leg and the actual. The, the body of the chainsaw or no, the chain? No, no, The chain spinning hit me Holy. in the side of the head. So it missed my neck. The tree missed my, my neck and my my back. Um, so I wasn't, this beginning of this year, I had I wasn't walking for about three You're months. You're lucky that had, chain didn't rip your fucking face off. Mm, I've got I've got a nice big scar. So she was like, oh, I'm going to give you some painkillers. I'm like, um, she's only going to give you intravenous painkillers. I'm like, hey, can we just start with like endone or something else before that? <laughs> and she's like, you're in a lot of pain. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I don't want a needle. <laughs> um, so well, it, people it, have come at me in the media for not getting the needle, for not getting the vaccine. But so everyone's I can't choice. be vaccinated because me and all of my family have really severe adverse reactions to vaccinations. So um, breaking, I had them, breaking heart conditions. <laughs> breaking heart conditions, yeah. Um, no, when I got, I remember I had a really, really bad adverse reaction to the tetanus injection when i was in school it's, it's not just tetanus anymore either it's no it was um together yeah it's it's a it's a few things together um they a tree fell on me they the tried detail, to give me a tetanus detail, and i'm yeah. like a tree fell on me she's like yeah but we'll give you tetanus i'm like a tree fell on me I'm yeah like, but they they're 
there's this there's this wide misconception that tetanus can be involved with rusty metal when really yes, it's in the dirt. tetanus isn't a bacteria it's, in, it's in it's in soil or yeah. feces yeah um anyway uh yeah that's another thing the medical industry is just so, getting so wrong yeah. um I, i've got the needle phobia mum's an anti-vaxxer <laughs> she, she, she went to rallies i, I didn't but well both um, my brothers have had adverse reactions as well really you yeah so it just runs in our family and then people have come at me for being anti-vax. I'm not. I'd love no. to have a... If there was a vaccine that was safe for me to take, I'd safe love to take effective. it. I'd love to take it. I'm not anti-vax. I'm anti-unsafe vaccines for everyone. Is That's it, what I'm anti. It's still not approved yet, is it? The vaccine? It's probably... Mate, it's, it's the still... largest test, clinical test of all time, this mRNA vaccines. The, the technology mm. has been around for a long time. But we've never mass produced it and they mass tested it on people. It out, yeah. And now there's all these jokes about unvaccinated sperm being worth so much a gallon. Mm. It's pretty funny. Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm at a premium now. My seed is at a pre- is at a premium <laughs> thanks to the pandemic. That sock under your bed? <laughs> yeah, worth millions. Microwave that shit. <laughs> Ring it out. Yeah, oh, yeah. Dear. I do. And so I get it to body temperature, microwaving it. Um, let's get back on a knives before this podcast gets cancelled for mis- misinformation spreading. Mm, mm. So, where to now? What's what's where is the the knife going for you now? Now that we've uh, uh, we're, we're, funny we're at a stage just, where you're producing these high quality blades. Yeah, I'm what doing are you working on now? Sydney knife show. I'm doing just trying to level up. Um, I'm always afraid of. Uh, plateauing and just accepting that what I'm doing is the best that I can do. Um, the I do Sydney Knife Show, I do Brisbane Knife Show, I run the, the Hammer In, which is the largest knife making, knife making event of its kind in Australia, which is really cool. And it's uh, not because of me, it's the property is beautiful, it's set up well for what we do, and it's the people that make it such a great event. Like it's just such a wealth of knowledge from beginners to experts. We've had master smiths there. It's, it's been incredible. I'm very lucky to be part of it and to be running it. Um, I've just put it out that I'm probably going to go to America next year, do Blade, so I'll go to Atlanta. Blade show. Blade show, the biggest knife show in the Will world. Will you be debuting your products at the show or are you yeah. going to as a visitor? I'm going, I'm going to try oh, and get wow. a table. Yeah. You're going to the States. That's I'm putting a big that out there. Step. I'm, I'm putting that out there. Yeah. So it's about $6,000 worth of expenses to get over there and back and accommodation and flights and booking a table is about $1,000 Australian, I believe. Um, so you make one or two knives out of Magna Cut and that's it paid no. for. <laughs> that's the trick. So that's, that's, that's the difference. Like the same thing, like when you start with a $30 bar of steel or a $60 bar of steel um, and you use you know, thirty dollars worth of abrasives. You were use twenty five dollars worth of, or fifty dollars worth of handle material. You use thirty dollars worth of Kydex. You put all that time and effort in, and you can still only sell the knife for about three hundred fifty dollars. It doesn't matter if it's out of Nitro V or Magna Cut. It's it's about you actually money. getting. You can't actually. Yeah, you can't, you can't sell add it. the extra money on. Yeah, and then you, it just table. affects your margin as a knife maker. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's almost like it the might, market you might is, sell more. You might. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It might be more likely to be higher in demand. Yeah, but it won't, you can't add that price on, and it's better to be 
in someone else's hands being used than sitting in a drawer at my place. So the prices are, you know, as reasonable as I can make them. But um, yeah, so I, I think I think you're producing arguably some of the best value for money knives on the market. They're very. It's a balancing act between making them look handmade and also um, factory too finish. factory. They look yeah. too factory at the moment. I don't know how to to balance it out, but they're, well, they're, the the handmade always comes with imperfections. Like imperfections is what makes something look handmade. It's a little tattered, a little rough around the edges. But it's, we're striving for perfection. So yeah, it's like, so that's, it's the, like that's the balance, isn't it? Had people come up to shows and be like, "Oh, I'll take that one, but I'll take a an unboxed one." I'm like, that's, that's, I made that. That's the only one of its, you know, kind existence. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, shit. How are you, so for those that don't know, Luke brought out a roll of knives last night that I was looking at and um, that we're now talking about today. And in the process of looking through the knives that he brought, there was a couple of options where you have now moved into seracoting a knife. Which yeah, is, I've got. A, well, there's the option of it now. There's a. Friend. Talk us through what seracoding is and how you offer that as a finish. So on a high carbon knife is highly acceptable. It will rust in humid weather. That's that's the problem. Great knives, great steel, very tough, easy to sharpen, um, but will rust when it's humid even. So um, seracoding is a, a ceramic type coating and it's put on light powder coat um, without electricity so it's just spray painted on and then baked and it's baked at a lower temperature so it won't affect the tempering on the knife so it won't soften the steel more where I think powder coat's done at like 400 degrees where Cerakoting's done at about 130 which is well below what a tempering cycle is so it won't soften the steel anymore Um, and it just protects the steel and gives a really durable finish on a knife so any any finish that's super durable that can be baked on at a lower temperature is going to be advantageous to a knife maker yeah you can do it at home but there's it's it's a big process and it's sandblasting it's acetone and a process um so sending it to a place is obviously a lot do you set it there and then bolt the handles on when you get it back yeah so i've got to finish the knife have all the handle finished and then deassemble it with removable scales and then reassemble it when i get it back because i can't sand anything afterwards that's the finished product and you can't re-sand it once you get the knife back either so if there's anything that's left out of the finishing process it's done it's too late that's it yeah um i am moving away from high carbon and making my own layered steel and into stainless so i've got i think i've got about five thousand dollars worth of magna cut sitting at home um with all the few other cpm steels cpm 154 is probably my favorite um, yeah, that's that's the direction I'm going in. Um, trying to level up. I bought steering away from me. I do all my own sheaths. I what do my thickness? own wood stabilizing. I do the. I've got the laser etcher, so I can let, etch my own logo. I've got a four thousand dollar cowboy sewing machine, so I make my own leather, which. Looks yeah, good. I saw. I saw your. I love the suede finish on yeah. the sheaths. I think that's really interesting and cool, and not something I've really seen. Especially from like in Matt's work, it's like the polished outside of the mm. sheets, or like it's that's, like that's that's his style. That's, that's his the, style, yeah. Whereas his, yours is a bit more the, the textures he uses, yeah. And um, 
Whereas yours kind of looks kind of like He's got almost like here. a set of work boots, like that finish of that suede sort of finish. Yeah. I found it much more... What do they um, call that storm? That one was called storm. The color. So, yeah. The color and the suede. Yeah, really nice and gives it more of a... Almost like a pre-worn, pre-broken-in look to it. I really liked it's like it. The, the same with the stonewash finish on all the knives. It you can use the knife for you know a considerable amount of time before it actually starts to show any wear on the actual. Well, knife. If, if anything, you're going to add to the stonewash finish. Yeah. And for people that don't know, there's really three main types of finishes on a knife on the market. Three main ones. Well, there's obviously millions of finishes, yeah, yeah. but the three main ones would be a polished finish, mm. a stonewash finish. And a powder coated or, or a DLC coat or whatever, or yeah, or to it to a knife. And the stone wash is the process where they will get an almost finished knife, and they'll put it through a tumbling process where aggregate and abrasives are added. And what it does is it puts like millions of little scratches and and imperfections onto the finish of the knife. And then what you're left with is actually quite a pretty sort of like dulling of the steel. Uni- uniform finish is what yeah, you're Yeah, but it's like a working finish. Yeah. The stone wash is like a working finish. Whereas a high polished finish is obviously once you start using it, it's going to show up any little scratch or any little yeah, yeah nick Same or with burr you coated, put in steel. We'll, we'll mark straight away. Some Yeah, and then we get into the coatings, which is like some coatings are super wear resistant. Like There's a few um, other ones. The diamond coating, is it? I think it's DLC. Yeah. DLC coated. Something and, like that. Yeah, where it's um the the coating I've seen on ZT knives, I cannot get it to wear off. It's really, really well done. And then I'm my SE knives that are bushcrafting knives, that it's like a it's almost like a two pack car paint. It just comes straight off once yeah. you start using it. Uh, but then yeah, it, you get what you pay for, right? Like a cheaper finish, it's gonna wear off quicker and then you've got to maintain the carbon steel underneath if that's what it is. And then you you know like a if you're paying like four hundred dollars five hundred dollars for a pocket knife you want it to be as wear resistant and rust resistant because it's in your sweaty pocket all day long yeah so you need those higher end finishes a, on a those. lot of the pocket knives which I wouldn't mind getting into I've got stuff that's already prototyped and heat treated and sitting there f- waiting for me to have some time are but you trying to get me to buy your first pocket um, knife as well I'll probably have to give you one <laughs> um, but the blade the, the, would be the, in the shape of a phallus, I imagine, mm, if you were going to no, give me... No, it's not. Sorry to disappoint you. We'll have to talk customs out. <laughs> if that's something you're into, you know. Yeah. Um, but the yeah, the steel used in pocket knives is sort of a, a different steel. Arguably, some people will say, you can have a... You know, you don't make a, a big camp chopper out of M390. It's M390 is reserved for you know, pocket knives and stuff like that, like high-end pocket knives. It's just, you can, but it's it's almost a waste. It's a waste of that stock, yeah. right? Because you wouldn't want to pay the amount of money like to get a big of bar of M390. Like yeah, you wouldn't want to pay it for something you're going to thrash. Where- hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. <laughs> 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There is a pocket knife. You want that edge retention that M390 offers. You want that corrosion resistance to your body sweat that M390 offers. Mm. You wouldn't want those. You, you actually probably wouldn't want those values in a even like a competition chopper that's why a lot of the competition choppers that i've seen on the market where which is a new sport that's growing now where people will take a knife that they've made which is basically like a a shorter machete style like a they're quite a rectangular shape uh maybe a 10 or 11 inch knife blade length with a handle on the end and they'll go through like a series of tests where they'll chop rope chop water bottles chop timber and then at the end it's like how sharp is the knife and I've seen a lot of those knives made out of 3V and 3V seems to be kind of like the at the moment the the be all and do all of hard use steels is it CPM 3V I think they have gone to CPM 3V now yeah I, I lose track because it seems like there's always a new one well there's to explain to people that don't know, there's like D2, which was... D2 was a steel that was used to punch out um, pressed metal mm. in like World War Two. Basically, that's when it was like used a lot. There was... It was basically the steel that had... It was... that You know, they'd say... Say you were cutting out a box out of sheet metal. The D2 would be in the shape of what you wanted to cut out in the press... It, the actual yeah and it would be sharp and d2 to its credit would maintain that sharpness for a long period of time but obviously that comes into like the way they heat treated the steel to make sure it was like super hard wearing but then it would have been brittle right if you hit it with a hammer it probably would have chipped so there's there's trade-offs to all steel but d2 was basically used to press out or cut into steel in factory environments in and around the era of world war ii and then D2 was also used later on to make hunting knives and that sort of stuff because like Luke was saying earlier, it's very close to a stainless steel but with all of the hard use properties of a carbon steel. And then recently, in recent years, they've brought out CPM D2 which is a powdered version of D2. And now there's you know all of these super steels where people have worked out they can inject uh, or, or powdered in other alloys into the steel making process to get these ridiculously hard use, um, you know, more corrosion resistant than an average carbon steel, steels used for high end or hard use knife use. And then 3V was brought out as like a very pinnacle hard use knife tool steel. And now they have brought out CPM 3V, which is basically 3v on steroids same with d2 cpm d2 seems to be d2 on steroids people are going like oh you want to talk about steroids <laughs> i'm gonna get letters i don't it's know how it's all natural i don't know how they they inject the gear into the d2 and the 3v but 
that's a process for these you know high-end steel producers they don't exactly tell the public how they do it what their recipes are or how they do it that's kind of a pretty closely guarded secret right i would imagine so but once you see cpm in front of a steel you can assume that it's been beefed up from its standard template there's a lot of different steels that also from different manufacturers that will um be almost the same alloy content but be called different thing from different producer um so you get um nitro v is very close to 14c 28n um two different producers k110 is d2 same alloy content uh just different companies called different things different names obviously um there's lots of crossovers and equivalents in knife making yeah but that's about well ironically 3p uh, cpm 3v it's really quite close an alloy to d2 yeah so but then you know these knife nerds are gonna be like no it's not it's this it's that it's got this in it like no there's not huge jumps in terms of um uh, yeah there's there's they don't have to do much to get a completely different steel out of just adding a little bit here or there that that's like talking about like going back to high carbon steels where they could talk about w2 and w2 is a loosely used term for it could be you know quite different from batch to batch even um even from the same mill so yeah you get all sorts of varieties with steel but there's still something um fun about making layering up your own steel in high carbon and there's something really enjoyable about the the clean process of stainless steel and not having to worry about it sitting on the shelf and having some knives ready to be um, ground and have handles put on them for customers when they want that profile is really handy um but yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm the, the leaps and bounds I've made in the last year, I'd be really interested to see where I'm at in another year. Me too. America next year. Crazy. Um, I think for an Australian knife maker to go over to the States and debut their products, it's definitely going to open you up to a whole new market of purchases. It's very But then with that's going to come the pressure on being able to produce because it's a much larger market. Mm. It's hundreds of times the size of our buyer's market here for these products. So really, I mean, if you're going to make the leap, you've got to make the leap in terms of being able to produce as well. And then it's, it's a tough position to be in because in America, they're going to have the buying power, power when it comes to actually getting materials in at a certain cost. Mm. In Australia, Most yeah, in, in Australia, it's going to be much harder to get your hands on the products, turn them into a knife, and then ship them to America for a competitive rate. So it's almost like the Australian produced items are always going to come with a slight premium over American locally produced items. Uh, I think uh, I've sent knives to America a few places, mainly Texas, believe it or not. Um, yeah, they love knives and guns in Texas. And big hats. <laughs> yeah. Um... Still the Wild West there. Yeah, Final Frontier. Uh, be cool. I've got a few friends. Well, they share a border with Mexico. Mm. And it's very, from what I've seen in their media, it's very like, you know, there's a lot of, 
Yeah, I'm not even going to touch it. Yeah, I'm not even going to go there. It's it's yeah. not for me. And, and it's very political at the moment too. Very with, political, with the yeah. Upcoming election and. Yeah. Let's just say they love their knives and guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their freedoms. Yep. Yeah. Uh, good democracy. Good. <laughs> like a guns. nice cup of coffee yeah. and democracy in the morning. Yeah. Who doesn't like? Where was I uh, on the way down here? That wad of cash is going past a gun shop on the way down one of the biggest gun shops in Australia and I don't hunt but I shoot target shoot but um the owner wanted a, a knife rehandled and while I went down there I dropped that back and two more of my knives got sold nice from other people in the store bought knives nice. I was going through and that paid for this trip which is cool um on the way to um Everly Works in middle of Sydney there's a old historical train building yard I've never been there always wanted to it's run by a friend of mine Matt Mewburn who's a absolute gem of a human being um, so I'm going to go annoy the shit out of him today and then um, hopefully not too much because I've got to stay at his house is he tonight. going to forge something with you while, while you're I don't, there I, don't, I think he's running a business and there's like okay. so you just want to see how his business is running yeah I'm just going to go in and take photos and see if I can fly the drone around his workshop and um, I'm sure he'll be down for that I'm, I'm also uh, the reason I'm down in Sydney is because so beginning of this year I broke my leg had a crush injury still recovering from compartment syndrome in my calf muscle um, calf muscles not responding to electrical signals completely I've got like 50% sort of contraction in the muscle at the moment um like it's only my leg uh was on crutches only just being able to go up and down stairs sort of comfortably uh i had the hammer in two weeks ago i had 92 people at my place on the saturday i had 54 people staying the night camping bonfire barbecue everything so i put on food and and whatnot um and the place is just open like all the tools are just free range. It's just, it's, it's really cool. I'm about to put up some photos and edit them from the weekend. Um, but I was being a larrikin and I was on an electric scooter in the dark and I, I just went around the block once and I was like showing off in front of a pretty girl, obviously. And I came off it and um, just ate shit in loose gravel. And I was like, oh, I think I've hurt myself. I walked back in and I had a had a lie down and went back to the party and I was like, oh, I'm, yeah, just said my goodbyes for the night. And then about 3 a.m. in the morning, I got up and I'm like, I'm in so much pain. And I just wanted to know if my, because I had a whole nother day of um, giving demos and being a host at my property with another 90 people coming and the 54 that were. Anyway, um, I drove myself to hospital at 3 a.m. in the morning and got three sets of x-rays and um, they... We're like, oh, you've torn your collarbone off your scapula. So I've got an AC dislocation. So that was two weeks ago. And it's a lot better, but I can't lift my arm above my shoulder. I can't um, do anything. can't ride my motorbike. Couldn't fight can't, me off couldn't, last night. Couldn't fight you off. Um, so I, I've had time off work. So I've come down to Sydney to hang out with a couple of um, people that I'll you know, never have time for. So this is a, a break for me. It's tough living so far apart, isn't it? Oh. Like if you want to, if I want to duck down the road and... Oh, Harry's know, been to my place. Buy a, buy a bushcraft knife. I can't do that. I've got to book a flight to Noosa. But um, 
I think the thing that I found most impressive when I visited your property was just the, not only the space and the location. How small people were living on the property? <laughs> All the short people? Yeah, like, um, like visiting, um, where do the hobbits live? I don't remember. You're not that short, mate. It's not even a good joke. Yeah, but have you seen how um, my feet are? <laughs> uh, what, I, what I found most impressive was the location stunning. Yeah, uh, it's gorgeous. With yeah, mountain, really We're up on the shoulder of Mount Nindri and there's like the rocky outcrop of the, I'm guessing an extinct volcano called, you know, hundreds of meters away that lights up golden in the afternoons and waterfalls and big fire pits and I've gone I've gone super eccentric on the block with an excavator and <laughs> dug all these like massive camping pads into the side of because it's on a bit of a slope so I, to make the ground more usable I've dug all these like lily pads going down these down the hill so it's like camping pads so it's a space to enjoy the view and hang out all yeah camp. it's beautiful very very scenic yeah lots of it's, serenity I'm very, lucky. I'm very lucky to have it but the warehouse, when I walked into where you actually produce these knives, just the vastness of it for a guy doing it out of his backyard, it was like walking into a mm. professional workshop. To, to there start was lathes and lasers and cutting machines, and then even like you were talking about before, your grinding room. That's like that's like a professional workshop mm. to produce. And you were at the time you were cutting out um, or grinding a lot of knives for an Australian knife maker, like a bulk order. Yep. And you were just like, you had a system where you were just zip, 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 done on a knife. And I was really impressed by all the guides that were set up in order to just get that ease of sharpening. It's almost like it was autonomous. You were just a, a robot just doing each each knife. Yeah, and mind numbing. But Yeah, yeah, but the I was impressed by that because it was like, you need to have a setup like that to be able to produce the quantity of knives that you were producing. Yeah. And the quality needed to be at a factory finish. And I was also impressed that a lot of these knives were already sericoated, so you couldn't scratch them in the process of actually doing what you needed to do to get them ready for, for shipping. And daggers and getting the tips, all, all the edges, like four four facets to line up on the edge, on the tip. So it's- for people that weren't there, the, the sanding machines all had guides. So like a big belt sander, imagine a built, but big belt sander, with a guide on it and then all of the guides had like this fluffy material so that you wouldn't damage the coat when you were like sliding them through the guides no this this was i had a, a, it was a like a them, like a felt into- like a something so that when you slid the knife across the sander it wasn't sliding it on metal on metal for the syrup to protect the coat. I clamp them and then it's got like the bar underneath and then the clamp yep. that runs on the bar. So there's yep. no, there's the initial clamp and that's about all you've got. And I just put a bit of tape and then peel the tape off afterwards. On yeah, the yeah. Clamp on each knife. Yeah. And I've got two grinders going in a room with different grits. So I just go and they're both set up with exactly the same angle and I can just go from one to the both other. sides and then do the other grit and then flip the knife over and do the other side. And I had hundreds of those to do. So one was to put an edge on and the other the other one was to, to find the edge? Yeah, just the grip pattern. So they're, I don't know which ones they were, but some of them were A2 and some of them were D2 and they were all Cerakoted. Um, but they're, they're about a, what I call a basic edge. So it's like a 400 grit finish. It'll shave arm hair and it's sharp at 400 grit. That's all I sort of put on most of my license. Can, you can do a hair popping edge with 100 grit if it's the yeah. same bevel, you know. 
you get a burr, remove the burr, you got a sharp knife. Yeah, That's exactly. Um, Which did you find got sharper out of the A2 and D2? Or sharper, A2, easier? A2, A2 appears to be sharper, easier, sharper. D2 is a pig to sharpen and it uses, um, I'd say maybe four to six times as much abrasive material so you go through belts four to six times quicker be interesting to do a test on the two steels and see which one retains that edge once it's sharp for longer a2 it's a superior steel in that for for what they were and for what they the edges is putting on so edge geometry and everything comes into it too Um, i've had a couple of knives (coughs) in a2 and aebl yep yeah that's a similar um in performance and yeah, I found A2. A2 is a, A2's a high carbon. Yeah, and then, but I've, well, I've got an axe. I've got an axe that's in A2. ABL is a yeah. um, is a stainless. It's like a yeah, but I found one. like sharpening them was similar. Really, and how long they'd stay sharp for? Yeah. yeah okay. The worst I've found is um, for sharpening is twenty CV. Like that is trying to get an edge that on it. yeah, trying to get a nice clean edge on twenty D2. CV takes a long D2. time. I hate grinding D2. There's other more wear resistant steels out there <laughs> that are. Um, diabolical to even put ceramic belts onto at high speeds that just just skates on it just doesn't want to remove material it's crazy mm. um, I haven't used them but yeah I'm building the repertoire of what I've got well, on the I've, shelf I was told that 20CV was like the competitor to M390 yeah. very similar in terms of but M390 is actually easier to sharpen I believe so yeah which yeah I don't know. Uh, once you start going to those ridiculously high-grade steels, you need you know, better equipment to be able to sharpen. And then you might have spent $400 on the pocket knife, but now you've got to spend over $1,000 on sharpening the fucking thing. It's, like, it's a very expensive hobby. Kind of like watches. You know, whatever you nice, get into. Nice things, yeah. Nice, nice pens. Like, yeah, the, the once carry, you start getting it's like jewellery for men, isn't it? A nice yeah. watch, a nice wallet, a nice you know, handmade pen. You know, well, the, the the thing is, I didn't really get into. Um, I don't need a nice pen. I don't. I I need a builder's pencil. I don't really need a nice pen to carry around in. But they they are fun. They're nice to have, especially if you're if you're in a job where you are writing in front of people or offering a pen. Even you know, it's nice mm. to be able to offer. And the the old the back in the day, I remember like Mont Blanc pens were like that was like the flex if you pulled out a Mont Blanc pen. Nowadays. Mont Blanc's like cheap compared to what you can spend on an EDC everyday yeah. carry pen. The, I've seen like some um, Makuti, I think it's called, or Timascus type. Yeah, yeah. Just the Makuti. end of a pen can go yeah. for a thousand bucks. Yeah. Just a little thing that you screw into the end of a pen. Yeah. Just as like a little bit of a little pop to I've a I've got a fair few pen. bolt action handmade pens from Shane Mig. Oh, Mig, yeah, yeah. yeah. He does nice stuff. Does yeah. good stuff. Australian guy making stuff. I think yep. he's got a, a range of handmade stuff and a range of um, what he calls the plus six one, which is made overseas, but to his specs. So yep. I've got a, a, a few of each. Um, you know, a, affordable. Supporting locals that make. Yeah, that's what it's all about. He does a lot of exotic stuff too, like in copper and brass. And, and I've got a copper one in the car. Yeah, people like the... The added weight of those and softer patinas, metals it changes and it changes time. the color. Yeah. yeah, the more you use it, I find the more it patinas with the oils from your hands, and yeah. they're very, Tells very the story. interesting. Just like 
some high carbon knives like people like high carbon kitchen knives for the fact that they continuously build up this patina which is semi rust resistant it adds a layer of protection um, so you get it from cutting onions and um, lemons and stuff like that uh, even potatoes will stain a high carbon knife straight away uh, yeah let's talk about that so uh, and, and we touched on etching before and now we're talking about patinas which are very similar processes for protecting the outside acidic, of a high carbon yeah, knife it's an acidic process um, and you were talking about when you layer right back at the start of the podcast when you're talking about layering different types of metals oh we're tying it all together. up nicely this is good <laughs> yeah bringing it, bringing it home it's called um having good callback or recall i got none of that it's just yeah. fishbowl here sorry yeah um no it's okay it's it's just something i've picked up from all my time in the media uh <laughs> people don't get my sarcasm over the podcast either like they're gonna think like this guy's fucking idiot yeah yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot, lot of time which is shape. true but right. i'm a sarcastic anyway um so when when you are layering the metal you were talking about etching the process of etching which yeah, which darkens or dulls the color of high carbon steels and then the stainless more stainless steels will, or, or will stay content. will stay bright and shiny yeah. in the finishing process of the sanding process and so then you get the layering effect of different colored metals. You get the contrast. You can, and, what and are to, you using to etch those metals? Fer ferric chloride, ferric chloride yeah. will, will etch. And then for contrast, if you wanted like a, a almost textile, you can actually feel the pattern. Ferric chloride, multiple passes, steel wool, uh, multiple cycles in the ferric, and then um, 12 to 24 hours in... Uh, very strong instant coffee to get a contrast for people that don't know there's different types of chloride based acids there's like hydrochloric uh, ferric chloride yeah, yeah. Ferric Hy hydrochloric chloride. you use for stainless steels okay um, for etching the, stainless steels yeah I've got a blend that I use for stainless steels and then I've got a strong and a weak for of ferric for high carbon I found that ferric chloride instantly grayed or dulled yeah. high carbon steels so it didn't work on stainless steels yeah you can turn them black if you yeah. leave it in there long enough yeah yeah which is based so what is the process off. of if you dip high carbon steel into, ferric, cl into ferric chloride what is the process of turning is it oxidization that turns the outer skin of the steel black we're going to have to look this up. So, and then, well, well, Harry Googles, um, <laughs> you, you neutralize it in uh, alkaline. So you go from an acidic to an alkaline. So you use, most people use Windex because it's got high ammonia or you can use cloudy ammonia and water it down and neutralize the acid or it just keeps eating into the steel. Um, but that's the process. Um, same with stone washing. Even all the stainlesses get acid etched and then they go into stone washing to give a, a bit more of a contrast. If you just stone wash it without acid etching, it won't give a contrast to the you know the uniform scratches you're putting in it. But that's the direction trying to go and make affordable knives and um, a good quality item and keep the community and 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 get other people interested in it and change the public perception about knife making 
Google is no help, but I think it is the process of oxidizing. It's an oxidizer. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so the process when you have layered steels, what's going to happen is you're going to darken the high carbon steels and then the stainless steels are going to still remain bright because they're resistant, corrosion resistant to the etching process or the oxidization process. So that's how, you get, yeah. that's how you get the color one, color two or, or yeah. you know, like that the it, lighter and darker mixes of steels and that's what creates that different alloys, visually. alternating, yeah. alternating um, alloys together will give you a... So, and what we were talking about earlier was then if you and, and etching and patinas kind of go hand in hand. Patina is more of a discoloring or a they they're quite a pretty. Can, I would say you can force patinas. You can yeah, force you can force a patina. Yeah, you would same as an etch, right? You can force an etch, but what I'm saying is like a patina is like the process by which you are forcing the steel to oxidize, and you can do that with a number of different processes. With carbon steels, you can do it with ferric chloride, but you can also do it with like what we were talking about before with vegetable matter, like or mustard. Mm -hmm. Anything that's acidic will eat into the outside of that high carbon steel. We call it a patina. It's basically like forced rust. But the difference between etching or a patina is it actually protects the metal from rust, whereas rust is corrosion. A patina is like oxidization. It's like a different process. Yeah. And the oxidizing process kind of protects the steel in like a, what would you call it? Like a, it's like almost like a, the oxidized steel is now protecting it from rusting. Whereas if it wasn't patinaed or etched, it would be more susceptible to rust. It, it, it's definitely more acceptable to rust without the patina or without acid etch on it. Um, I'm not sure for what reason can give you good even even the 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 surface finish on a knife if you've got a, a higher a, a lower grit finish it's more prone to rust than a high grit finish so a, a more polished blade will be more stain resistant than uh, like a, a mirror polished one is more stain resistant than one that's finished at 120 grit that's another factor you got to is that because at 120 grit you've got more surface area and yeah like cuts know. in the surface well, you've got maybe surface tension and you've got peaks and valleys and yeah so more spots for more, that rust to more sit spots in to actually um uh i don't know how it really works but to, to start oxidizing yeah those thinner points i think and, you're and right get, with it. you nailed it with the surface area right like peaks and valleys is more surface area yeah. than a flat surface yeah? yeah so i think that there's more opportunity for the vapor water vapor to sit in one of those valleys and start the rust process a, a lot of high-end chefs will still use high carbon knives in restaurants because they're ease of work, sharpening ease of sharpening better retention tough um, and beautiful too so they build up that patina uh, and they're using them that much that they don't get a chance to rust they just get used every day day in day out so patina builds up um, there's no risk of them being in a dishwasher or a sink you know yeah, for, they're for hand washed they're hand -washed, meticulously taken yeah. care of and then potentially, you know, wipe down with a bit of oil at the end of each day. Potentially. Yeah, so that they're ready, it. sharpened, and then ready for the next day's. Yeah, quick strop and. Yeah, quick strop and away you go. Workhorse. I still see, though, that the high end Japanese manufacturers for kitchen knives will still use layered stainless and carbon steels. And I've always been, I've always been curious as, as you sharpen those knives back and you then get to a layer of stainless, does it become Should dull? Should be, because the core, the core is always going to be centred. 
So you're saying that there's a core and then the outside of that core is the layered. Yeah, normally a lot of the um, higher-end Japanese knives are, well, not all of them, but some of them are stainless steel over soft jacket, so unhardenable stainless steel over the top of like a white paper or um, a blue two core, like a Japanese steel. And then because it's quite, um, the geometry is so thin and the steel's so hard, it's chippy. So, so they're like high-end kitchen more. knives. And then, yeah. But then you've got the soft jacket on the outside that takes the flex. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. So That's, they work hand-in-hand, hand, the yeah, two steels. Which is the Sanmai technique. So you get this softer outer jacket. You get the stain resistance, in this case, of stainless on predominantly the whole blade. And you've got the edge core um, is revealed. And it's only a you know a couple of mil at the edge. That's or maybe about 10 mil is exposed of the high carbon. So it's less to less maintenance. You've made a few knives using the Sanmai method now. Yeah. And I've seen probably, the probably beautiful patterns in the steel. And they're the difference between like a traditional Damascus type pattern where you've got hundreds of layers of different steels mixed together. The Sanmai method, you kind of get this cool like Linear it's like heartbeat. a heartbeat yeah. yeah, that runs down the center of the knife. It's actually quite aesthetically pretty. It's funny because everybody likes the the heartbeat sort of pattern and it's due to the at the time I was using smaller dies and drawing it out slower because I had a smaller press now I've got a bigger press I can go to bigger dies put more pressure on it earlier and then go straight to a rolling mill which gives me a very linear pattern which is what I wanted and everyone quite likes the the um, heart rate monitor looking pattern so it's kind of funny that I was trying to achieve something that people weren't wanting yeah, but that's the whole point of you're producing your own art. It's always going to be what you find interesting, and then if there's a market there for that, then great. Mm. But it's, I don't, I don't get the, I don't, I don't get the impression that you produce these things for other people. I know you sell them, but really, I think it's all things that you would use or you find useful, and then ideally, the I'd, market is there for it. Yeah, ideally, I will in the future try not to take orders because there's a, it takes the fun out of it. Um, it stresses me because I've got to meet this person's expectation of what they've ordered. Um, I still do it, but, and it makes me a better maker and pushes my, you know, challenges me and pushes me to be better. But ideally in the future, I make things that I want to make that interest me and try different things and sell as I make. That's the, or I, take a batch to Sydney Knife Show in middle middle of August. Yeah, good yeah I'll be for, attending that. Good. There'll be, um, was it, it wasn't last year, but the year before that, I felt bad and gave you a knife or something. <laughs> no, two, was that 2019? Yeah, it was before COVID. You gave me a... So I came back from that. You gave me a finished version of the very first knife I yeah, bought off you. A handled, which I just saw <laughs> in this kitchen drawer earlier today or last night. And yeah, it, it's it's horrific. So we're going to have to rectify that. I love it. I don't want you to touch it. I'm not going to touch it. Oh, it's one of my treasured items. But I'm going to upgrade. Anyway, it's a symbol, um, it's a symbol of our friendship, undying bromance. Uh, I, so came, the, I came back from that Sydney knife show to an empty house too. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Was that that weekend? I think it was like the best weekend and worst weekend of my life. Oh, uh, no. 
So that was like, I've met all these amazing people and it's my first knife show and I'm, I'm so excited. And Can't wait to tell you about it. I can't wait to tell you about it. And I got home to an empty house. Well, the, the dogs were there, right? We had his and hers dogs. So oh. she had her dog and I had, um, we had puppies and we, like adults, we kept four of the puppies because that's what adults, you know. So we had six dogs and it got reduced down to, came home to three dogs. Heartbreaking. Yeah, a bit of a shock. Yeah, but well, I bet she's regretting that now. Uh, no, I wish her all the best. It's all, it's all good. Well, if she needs to cut something, she's going to be in need of a. She's actually she was right into um, <clears throat> skinning and tanning and stuff. She was really there. yeah. She was. It's not usually a feminine hobby. Germans. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm dating a German now, and I can tell you that they're. Um, they're into stuff that I, I we're not. It's completely different culture. Completely different culture. Yeah. Super interesting though. Like every time we go past the German restaurant in Sydney, Gina's like, "Oh, you know, let's go in." And no, I've got to get a pretzel. She loves the pretzels there. Yeah. Right. And then it was funny. We went to uh, the Carriage Works the other day. And look um, how smitten this guy's for, for these people uh, that can't see. Uh, this guy's so smitten right him. now. Um, we went to Carriage Works and Gina saw these cheese pretzels and she's got so excited. She's like, oh, I've got to, got to get this cheese pretzel. And gets this cheese pretzel and then she's like, this is shit. This isn't a pretzel. Oh. And then I found it in the door of my car like two days ago. So she's eaten like some of it and then just stuffed it into the passenger door of the car. <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks. I'll clean I, that up. I, I live on the Sunshine Coast and one of the best farmer's markets is literally a street away from mine it's a five minute drive but it's one street away yeah and always go normally the ritual is go to the markets on saturday and get mouth sausage which is the german sausage it's nice. like sausage but for your mouth yeah yeah, yeah. it has got a different meaning in my house yeah. um <laughs> but one thing i will say is gina's not wrong like pre- pretzel. A hot pretzel yeah. with a bit of butter they put acid bro, there's like so good they actually put like an acid on it's like a caustic acid on the real ones and stuff like that to make it the, the genuine ones yeah well the ones at the Bavarian they put like rock salt on the yeah, top rock salt. it's so good yeah just a bit of butter they're just, hot just with the rock salt and the butter yeah bro the Germans and like a litre of beer the Germans know what they're doing <laughs> that would kill me the Ger- the, two, two, they know two, what they're two, doing two, two stand drinks and on anyone's. sometimes I wish they won the war just so we'd have their <laughs> just so we'd have all their food you know what I mean it's all good. Hey, hey, hey look, I'm, I'm driving a I'm driving a Volkswagen. So I mean, look, they, they got they, they got realize? um they got the treatment of a certain section of society wrong. But I will say this: their meat dishes and stuff are delicious. I like their cars too. German cars. Yeah. 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 Volkswagens and so. Audis and BMWs. <laughs> so, <laughs> what advice would you give to someone that? Because there's a lot of people out there that want to do what you do and want to walk in the footsteps of knife makers. What advice would you give to someone that is starting out and wants to get into the trade? Oh, I have thought about this a bit. It's um, use save use, up. Use save no money. no. <laughs> Like don't, don't invest too much if it's not for you. Don't invest but too much too soon is probably good advice for anyone looking to do anything. I don't take my own advice. I'm terrible. <laughs> all the tool, all, all the toys and no idea. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I would suggest touching, joining a, a like a Facebook group. There's a few ones for Australian makers. Uh, 
knife making that is, like Australian Beginner Knife Making Group, um, or the uh, Knife Making Down Under Group, or the Australian Blacksmithing and Bladesmithing, I think it is, and it's changed its name to. Um, they're all great groups uh, with lots of information. Touch base with a maker in your area and see if you can, you know, politely ask if you can observe for the day or the weekend or join in or or run, go for a class, even better. There's lots of makers that run classes. I, I run classes if you're on the Sunshine Coast or Queensland and you want to drive. Um, uh, use a Nolan Steel. So your advice would be to... Don't use something that you're going to put time and effort into and money and it not be able to be a finished knife at the end of it. It doesn't matter uh, if it's the, the the handle's too short, it's too blocky, or the grinds aren't perfect. It doesn't matter. Finish that knife. Just finish that knife and then start another one. That's You only learn by doing. Uh, but going for a class or catching up with uh, people at Hammerin, there's a few around Australia that happen. I hold one at the end of May every year. Um, people fly so your from advice would be, it. and I was chiming in with this earlier, your advice would be to tag along to someone's workshop and, and just try and learn from someone reputable, that's already doing Reputable it. maker, yeah. um, which there are so many in Australia. Oh, we're, we're literally sport for choice. For um, You can throw a rock and hit a knife maker, especially in... Um, you wouldn't want to hit a knife maker with a rock, but you could. Well, you, from a distance. Yeah, a safe distance. Most of them are uh, big bearded men, so they're not real quick either. <laughs> true, actually, that's quite true. It's, it's, um, it's, so, yeah, so so visit a knife maker or, or at least get in contact with someone that's already in the trade that's producing the type of things that you're interested in. They've already made all the mistakes that you're Yeah, and make. go and tag along and just be like a, you know, a trades assistant and yeah. just do whatever you can to help them out to get your foot in the door learn the craft and then take it from there and when you do start out you're saying use a known cheaper steel that you can steel's cheap steel's the cheapest part of something with less less opportunity for failure yep 1084 1084 that seems to be the steel a lot of people start out on and it's not like you're still making noise out of it now it's not like there's anything wrong with it uh, so if you go to a knife show in america and there's a hundred thousand dollar sword or Bowie, there, hundred thousand dollars. There's, that's that Bowie's made out of ten eighty four and fifteen n twenty, which is the cheapest, most easily attainable stainless, steel. Yeah. No, just just high carbon. Isn't fifteen n twenty stainless? No, fifteen twenty is is a high nickel. I think it's like equivalent to like ten uh, ten seventy five for carbon content. I'm probably wrong. I think it's pretty less. Um, yeah, fifteen n twenty, and it's just got high nickel. In it, so it gives good contrast to the 1084, which has got 0.84 percent carbon and no nickel, from my knowledge. Ah, okay. It's just the nickel content that gives the contrast, and Ah. it's still a hardenable steel. Right. Um. Yeah. And you're saying these super high-end products are that? That's all they're made out of. They're made out of like made out of a basic. They're made out of maybe to make that you start with. You probably, by the end of that process of making a big Damascus bowie, you probably start with two kilos of steel and you end up with 700 grams of steel. You lose half of it through the process of making a Damascus bowie. And there's maybe, I don't know how many processes involved, and it's as intricate as you want it to be. 
but it's just 1084 and it's this it's what maybe fifty dollars worth of 1084 and they're selling it for you know a hundred thousand dollars wow mind blown so it's the same material that's what i'm doing now it's the same material done different ways selling the my processes are i'm faster they're not the product's better it's also more expensive at the moment so mm-hmm. as i'm getting better the product's getting more expensive which is a fair is a fair trade right because mm-hmm. anyone that gets better at their job inadvertently charges more money to do it also getting quicker so yeah yeah, and you so you could potentially pump out two knives for the time it used to take you to do one. Yeah, when I do a course, I I make a knife alongside that person. So cool. So people can do this with you. Yeah, yeah. Step so by I, step. Do, I do I do knife making classes. I, yeah. I I set aside one weekend a month to do it normally. Yeah. Um, I've got one this weekend mm-hmm. if my I can lift my arm. Uh, but yeah, I make a knife alongside them so that it's a very visual process. So I'll do the step and then step back. They do the same step, step back. And one on one, you do this. Yeah, one on one. And a group as well. Up to three people. Yeah. Wow. So you'll make three knives with three people on the day. Well, people they will make their own knife, and I'll make a knife with them. Yeah, with them. So at the end of the weekend, I've got a knife to sell too. But it's amazing. Only, amazing. It's so good. It's and and everybody at the beginning is like, oh, umming and ahhing themselves, and then at the end, there's this realization where they're like holding this finished product, and they're like. Oh shit! I just made that. And it wasn't that hard. Well, it's just a process. And yeah, got the process. Yeah, it's a step by step process. Yeah. yeah. And um, they'll. Um, Would you say you've streamlined it now so that anyone of any level can come and make a knife? Yeah. And you host this at your house. Yep. Incredible. So people can come to you in a day. So fly up in the morning, fly home in the afternoon with a knife. Two day. They're all two day classes. Oh, they're two day classes. Two day classes. So, so probably a- tempered takes five hours. So a tempering process takes five hours. The first day is a bit shorter. The second day is a bit longer. Um, but so, so what, but what I'm trying, most, to, so what I'm trying to, for the listeners, if if you want to go to Luke's property over two days, so would you do it on a weekend? Yeah, most weekends. Okay, so most weekends people can go to your property, and on a weekend they can come in at any level of knowing how to use tools or anything like that. They can come Pretty to your much. property. And by the end of the weekend, they're leaving with a knife yep. that and they have made. Uh, yep. And there's three options. There's a, uh, the, all the classes are 700. Uh, there's, they're all three days. Uh, you've got the option of making a forged, fully forged kitchen knife. So you actually draw the material out three times its original length and you quench. And then it's a different process because the first day is more time because you're actually forging and you're working with volume control of the original bit of metal. Um, then you fit up with a hidden tang there's no sheath for a kitchen knife uh, there's a bushcraft knife which is a scandy grind high carbon so you're doing the quench yourself you're pulling it out of the forge at 815 degrees and dunking it into oil so you get that whole it's a rush there's fire there's flames there's normally no blood uh, <laughs> and then there's a, a utility or a, or a hunting knife um, but you, you design the knife too like oh, there's guidance if you come up with a pre- preconceived idea, like it's like a four to five inch blade. Um, the kitchen knife's about eight inches, so it's a decent sized carving knife. Uh, yeah, there's also the option of doing a, it's like a three quarter day course to make your own layered steel. So you can make you come to mind, make your own bar, and then leave with your bar and make your own knife out of it. 
if you've got the equipment or you can come back and do a class with me with that bar. With that bar. And then make, make a, a San Mai or wow. a Grand Mai. So, okay, so there's the option days. to tag on yeah. an extra day to make a yeah, more, make more higher knife out of a more Just, exotic material. Yeah. Incredible. So it's, it's I've, I've probably, probably done about 15 classes since I started um, with a range of people and skills and backgrounds and yeah last guy was a, a like a, a yard maintenance guy smashed out a knife and and when he saw what he made he was like oh shit i made that and th- these knives are, are, are to a level where i would be happy to sell them on a table yeah they're, they're, it's, it's it's really and for me it's better than it's really fulfilling so um and it's that's what i'm all about trying to get people involved in it just in any sense of the word just making in general pottery or or leather work or you know uh silversmithing it's all things that are it, it helps you view the world differently because you look at something that's handmade and you can appreciate it more so it's like photography which i'm getting into photography that's a don't. That's, That's a, my I, advice. I'm, oh my god! I'm into photography and it, it's an expensive hobby. I remember I've, I've spent it all early mornings. I'm all, I'm all good with, Yeah, early mornings struggling through the settings on a camera, on a DSLR to try and get like a low light image of a sunrise. Mirror, mirrorless, man. Mirrorless. Yeah, everyone says mirrorless, but then I know the photos are different. Like, mm. I, I prefer. Well, okay, everyone has a mirrorless camera if they have an iPhone. True. Right. So iPhones you, are you take, powerful. Yeah, but yeah. if you take a DSLR, it just for some reason the images just turn out different. It's the, it's the glass and it's. I'm nostalgic the, like that, bro. What camera? What camera you got? Uh, it's what, what a brand? Canon. Oh, good. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, it's Canon. Yeah. What have you got? Um, I'll show you after the podcast. Ooh. It's it's it was like about a thousand bucks. So nothing. Tasteful nudes. Good. For <laughs> yeah, yeah. I needed to um get the long lens for the nudes needed a, a micro lens macro macro yeah um yeah but I, I i've got a drone and all those sorts of things and what a gopro and i got the mavic air 2 because it fits really well in my hiking back i got the backpack. um mini 3 pro yeah it looks good it's so good is that the one with the swiveling camera yeah yeah do you like that feature i've used it once yeah, I've seen a bunch of videos. But it tracks. There. It, it, it's the smallest one that tracks. It's under two hundred fifty grams. So unreal. 30, How the tech that they're doing now. Flight time. Yeah. It, that's as good as a Mavic Air two, and it's like yeah. half the size. And now I've seen heaps of videos where people are going landscape and then shifting it to portrait. Yeah. And those videos, those those slow videos of you like a sunset, or they look unreal. You can't rotate mid record. I'm guessing they're done that post edit somehow. Yeah, somehow. Yeah. Because it, it's just geared towards social media I suppose that yes that flipping the of the, yeah, yeah yeah there must be an app that flips it maybe I've seen it says like turn your phone now and you'll be holding your phone and then you'll you'll swivel oh, your yeah. phone and then it sort of like changes from either portrait to landscape or yeah it's very cool like it must be yeah maybe it is video editing but I, I'm still learning how to yeah I've had drones I took a drone around Australia on a motorbike and you know you just can't capture what you want to capture and how vast from, it is from like ground level yeah from ground level like yeah. you ride a motorbike around and you just sort of like oh this is cool and you just send this and it just shows how vast you are drones have completely changed the landscape of amateur photography yeah 
there are people now that go to JB Hi-Fi, get a Pro, a Mavic Pro, and next minute they're producing images and photo quality that years ago would have been by some guy with a, a, a $5,000 uh, mirrorless camera on a quadcopter. And or they, a pole, remember the old, yeah. when they used to take photos of houses and the guy would come and put the pole up on the four drive and take the camera photo. Those days gone. are gone. Gone. It's just... It's Guys so don't have poles anymore now. They've got a drone that they send up. And man buns. Yeah, yeah. What's happening with the world? I don't, I don't have a thing against the man bun. Really? I don't... Nah, like I don't... Um, don't well, one of, my, one of my good mates, Cam, who I was on the show with, he's got, he used to wear his hair up in a man bun and then he'd wear it down. I actually thought it looked better in the man bun. To be fair, I like long hair on a man, unless you're like There's Jason, Jason Momoa, it just doesn't, I don't know, he, he pulls it off somehow. Are you, are you normally admiring men from, you know? Always. Nice. Always. Yeah, I don't even look at women anymore. It's just all guys for me now. That's the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a tradie, bro. You're not going to pull that over me. No, I know. I, yeah. I, I can't even, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, if I go into this slippery slope with you, it's just going to end badly for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I've, I learned years ago that when the conversation starts going towards gay, that you have to out-gay the person yeah, yeah, that's yeah. going that way and the next in order to married, embarrass them you, out next of... You're married with the guy that you work with. Like, yeah, just, just to show him a lesson, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Now I'm in an alternative relationship with this guy just because I yeah. refuse to quit. <laughs> I think that's a good I work, note to... I work, I, work in, I work for a local government, so yeah. Lots of that. Lots of that. Lots of yeah. banter. Yeah. Well, why have we lost? Why is banter so offensive now? Everyone's a bit sensitive. Right. Everyone's a bit too sensitive. Like, what? Yeah. Everyone's I just people are man, angry. I'm so over this cancel culture bullshit where it's like, oh, you can't say that. Fuck that. Yeah, I'm gonna say it. Like, and what are you gonna do about it? People are angry. Who cares? Who gives a fuck if it makes someone angry? Like, I'm not responsible, right, for someone else's feelings. And something I say might be taken as a joke to one person and highly offensive to someone else. Well, like it's yeah, gonna be in context. You know, like fair enough. If you want to be offended, that's fine. I mean, but like you, you know better than my most, job to not offend you. You know better than most people. A lot of things can be taken out of context. I suppose. Well, yeah, <laughs> or, or I mean, perceived differently, or yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a it's a much harder now for people to think that I'm anything like I was on maths when I'm sitting here talking unedited and they can get my sense of humor and they can get that I'm, you know, my personality a bit more. Whereas, you know, and I think that's what you were getting at with the out of context thing Mm. is that if you like what people don't understand is, and and I keep trying to drill this home to people is if you and I have an argument, right. And they only show your point of view for the argument and they edit all of my points out. I look like I'm the issue. I look like you've got all of all of these grievances against me, and then I'm the problem, or vice versa. This, this is a good point. This is yeah. a good time to point out that I haven't watched one episode of Mary. Yeah, no, no. But you, you, but you know, you know of the show, right? I, and you know of my experience on the show. I'm sure a lot of people have told you about it. Yeah. Um, also, haven't watched TV for about 15 years. Ah, good. It made its brain dead. Anyway, it's man. it's for entertainment. Um, or like vice versa. Like I could I could sit here now and edit everything down I hope you do yeah. make, make me look like that but I could edit everything down that you've said and I could make you look like a complete dumbass I could well, put you, in you won't I have to you just, just send that and we'll just send that yeah. unedited Full send. but I could the point I'm making is is that I could take one answer from one question 
And I could ask a completely different question and I could put that answer in. You're saying that's what the producers and people, do that That's exactly track. what the producers do. Oh, wow. They jumble conversations around. They jumble... Look, like everyone's accused me of smirking at Jesse and Claire. I'm not even looking in their fucking direction. Like every yeah. time people well, have accused me of something... At the same time. Yeah. yeah, it's just... A, it just comes down to how they edit the show and people need to realise that it's drama. entertainment. Like in yeah. This isn't real life, people. It's, it's not normal. It's not. No. It's not. But people, the, people want but dra- people, people crave drama in their life. They crave it, mate. Yeah. I know. It's it's a yeah. shame. I, I just want I don't know what I want, but it's not drama. Well, and also there's people out there that want to not like you, and then the show provides them with the confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. I know there's people out there that don't like me, and then they saw me on the show and they like By association. Look, By association the show they don't like conf- me now. No, they'll like you. Uh, I mate. You could sit down with anyone. Maybe after the editing, they won't. <laughs> you could sit down with anyone that's unlikable and still come across as yourself. That's not an issue. And I think that people that have used the show as confirmation bias to go, look, he is like that. Look at what the show is. You know what I mean? Well, like they're, they're just people that want it to be you, true you, you way more than they actually believe it. You know, you can't be intelligent and attractive and, you know, just choose one, can you, please? Correct. And just stick yeah. to it, Harry? No, I, I refuse to. I refu- I, I'm going to stay with both um, intelligent and, um, you know, mildly, attra- <laughs> mildly attractive. I just... Um, I just think that, yeah, like, like I was saying, there's people out there that want that shit to be true way more than they believe it, really. Yeah. They just want it to be true. And, and, it, and, it's and not, at, the, it's, at the end of the day, you are just literally, you know, you're, you're a tradie bloke that yeah. likes yeah. things. and I'm just not going to put up with shit from people. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with that? A bit more, yeah. The funny thing is, um, for every one person that doesn't like me for the way I was on the show, and it's usually the Karens out there, Mate, I get so many messages from people, men and women, that are like, I loved you on the show. You were the realest one in there. You owned your shit, you called everyone else out, and you were real. And if you look at season 10 of Married at First Sight, would they have even had a show this year if I wasn't on it? Probably not. It would have been boring as fuck. You were the catalyst. Well, I mean... There was other little things that happened, like between Jesse and Claire and Evelyn and Dan. Like there were little things that happened along the way, but for some reason, the show this year seemed to completely center around me. Yeah. And you know, for better or worse, I was the main character of this year. And yeah, it is what and it that's is. That's why you've got a podcast now. <laughs> no, that's not the reason. I probably would have started this even if I wasn't on the show because I like I like having conversations with interesting people and then giving other people the opportunity oh, to listen to those conversations. Some interesting people on this show. Yeah, yeah. Well, we yeah, ran out of time and um, low budget, so... Get me in. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, people love this. They love listening to conversations. Mm. I think it's a, a human thing, is you, you learn by listening to people converse about their experiences. And there's nothing better than listening to someone who's interesting and has an interesting or story pas- to tell. Passionate about something. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. I don't care if it's passionate about performing balloon tricks at a children's birthday party if that's what you're into and you're good at it talk about it mm. it's interesting you know what yeah, I mean? but before, before knives it was um small batch sort of automotive custom parts like plenums and uh turbo manifolds and stuff like that or intercooled you love cars i know you love, love, cars. love, love going fast yeah. never taken drugs in my life um i, I got a had an unhealthy addiction to going fast 
Uh, I think life begins over 300 on the road, personally. <laughs> um, everything else changes after that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I turbocharged my first car when I was 17. I fuel injected and turbocharged it when I was 17. Uh, so I was doing that in the shed to begin with. Um, there was no money on the coast for cars and stuff like that. No one had any money. Everyone wanted a thousand horsepower and had no money. Um, then it was like custom bikes and I got known, quite well known for making like ridiculous rideable art. And then somehow I had all the tools and lathes and everything to do knife making and it just took off and I've just sort of really lent into it and the whole property sort of revolves around having the hammer in once a year and um, I've got, you know, 40 kilo power hammers and pneumatic power hammers and yeah, it's just... What, what's a power hammer for someone that doesn't know? Uh, it's a self-contained pump with pistons that pushes and pulls a 40 kilo weight up and then brings it down with valves so it's a 40 kilo falling weight, but it's actually pushed down by the air pressure. So it's a three phase motor that powers this. If you type in pneumatic power hammer, it's, it's about two ton of steel. And I bought it from far North Queensland and went up and picked it up and dragged it back. Um, and it moves metal. Uh, it's all about working smart, not hard. So I, I'm like, five seven 65 kilos you know peak performance for a stock removal knife maker <laughs> peak performance um <laughs> can swing a hammer but regardless if you want to do it for the long term work smart so i've got 20 ton presses i've got a 40 kilo um, power hammer so i can draw out material i can flatten material on different dies on I've got combination dies flattening and drawing dies on both pieces of equipment yeah, want to get into 3D, I know we're probably going over time, but... No such thing. 3D printing has, has I've got a 3D printer now to all the toys and no idea. Um, so you can print in PLA patterns, you put that... What's a PLA pattern? Well, you can print in PLA, so it's the, the media you print in, and it's uh, cornstarch, I think, it's, a, it's from cornstarch, I believe. Um, so you can print very thin walls, extruded shapes, put it into a canister, put different powdered steel in different parts of the extruded shape, put it in a canister, consolidate that powdered steel into one piece of steel with like high nickel and high carbon steel, and you get a contrasting image. You can actually print whatever you want into the steel now, and the PLA just burns out and becomes carbon and disappears completely and gets absorbed into the steel on either side. No line, no nothing. I'll show you photos afterwards. Wow. So limitless to what you can actually... Print into a knife. Print into a knife. And if you layer that up with a, a, a coarse steel to keep it lineal, you've got that lineal strength. But yeah, that's, that's things to look forward to in the future. I've got all the tools and equipment and materials. I just need to find the time. That was the main concern with 3D printing where you know, you're, it's great that you're talking about printing it into a knife, but there's... Well, printing forms to hold powdered steel in separate parts so that you can form it into Well, a that knife. was the concern with 3D printing is pre knives people can... Knives and guns. Guns, yeah, knives and guns, yeah. And um, I think 
as technology advances, we're going to get closer to things that help us and closer to things that damage us. So I truly believe that they will start to inject organic matter into a 3D printer and we may see the first 3D printed organs. They've got 3D printed meats. Yeah. That look like yeah. steak. Yeah. But I'm talking like, say, for people that need a heart transplant or a lung, they would be able to 3D print that and just put it in someone. Harry's secretly a vegan. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Man, I love steak way too much. Um, but then on the flip side of that technology, right, is 3D printing weapons of war. Mm. So it's an interesting conversation to have where that technology is so useful on the one 3D hand. print metal and stuff now too. Yeah. 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 Uh, I've seen 3D printed houses where they put Concrete. cement mixture into a yeah. like into a like a control arm and it just goes around prints walls, yeah. entire walls for a house. It's crazy. I don't know how that works with steel and stuff in Rio. I don't think it, I think it's very gimmicky. It's at the moment um, in my job. Uh, we've got AI trying to replace what we do, which is um, asset conditions. So we've got phones and cameras trying to do the same thing, and it's just. It's close, but it's not there yet. Like, yeah. Interesting. Next couple of years, see what happens. So last, I wanted to ask you, when people leave your workshop on those two or three day, if you combine the bar stock that they're making into those courses, they're leaving with a complete knife. Yep, heat treated. And you do all of it. Would they? Yeah, so along the process, they would then know how to replicate that again, right? They could now go into knife making themselves correct for so I'll, I'll ask them to start with if they just want to make a knife or they want to make knives and it's a big difference to how i run the course so i'll explain each step if they want to make knives if they just want to make a knife and just have the experience and then do a silversmith class the next week or a pottery class the next week they're just having experiences so if people are going to, for those like artesian style courses yeah. where they're just picking up a skill as they go along but you, some people you Go into as much detail as someone that wants to make knives professionally. Yeah, I'll I'll give them all the details of why I do it and the process and why I do that that way. Okay. Well, I actually think that it ties into the question I asked you earlier about what advice would you give? Maybe the best advice for someone looking to do this is to attend your course. Yes, or or any other maker. There's a lot of makers depending on where you're doing. There's there's people in um, all states that do it, yeah. Okay. And there's a few in Queensland, there's a few in um, Melbourne area and Sydney and Perth and even in, I'm not sure about Darwin, but there's a few in um, Alice Springs that will run courses, knife making courses. Can you choose your bar, your steel that you make the knife out of? To a degree. Um, I don't do, don't know if it's stainless because it's such, it's... More in investive process, yeah? It's more difficult... It's more expensive and um, also I find it the, you don't have the fire and the forge and the quench into oil and it's, That's part, it's of the process, part of the experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, so when you do a high carbon knife with me, it's all high carbon and it's part of the process and part of the experience. Doing of quenching a knife. And, in oil. Yeah, 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 yeah. That traditional flames and sparks and all the cool yeah. stuff that goes into making a knife and that... I'd say that experience would stay with you a lot longer than if you made a stainless knife or a high-end stainless it's, knife. It's, it's very anticlimactic. It's yeah. just like it's hot and you take it out and put aluminium plates on top of each other and then put some air on it. And you're like, oh, 
Oh, that was a bit more of a clinical procedure rather than yeah. the high carbon. You can sort of get a bit more nitty gritty and yeah, feel it and yeah. burn your eyebrows off. And so, if someone wanted to find you and reach you to do this course to learn to make a knife, how would they find you? Uh, just through socials. No, I think a website makes it takes the funny out of it again. But um, it's do you just have a website socials. for it? No, no. So just social media. Just social media. Yep. And it's Make Smith on Instagram. Make underscore Smith on Instagram and just Make Smith on Facebook. Or they can contact you directly, Luke Berkelmans. Yeah, sure. Just reach out and say, hey. Reach out and I say, hey, or like, you Stabby know, thing. Yeah, you inspired me to, my whole thing's about um, who have I inspired, how have I contributed, what's my worth, what have I given back. I'm, I feel very privileged to be, have the property, have these tools, have... A great bunch of friends that are into it um, uh, and people around me that are supportive I feel very lucky so um, I, I try and give back that's why I do the hammering once a year yeah. nice well if anyone out there listening wants to you know learn to make a knife and support a, a local business a small business get in contact with Luke hobbyist hobbyist Hobby, extreme hobbyist extreme hobbyist yeah probably um I think that's a perfect note to end on. Make Smith, make underscore Smith on Instagram. Even if they just want to see what you do or purchase a ready-made knife, they can. But if they want to do the course or they want to learn to do what you do. Or order a custom, yeah. As much as I don't want to, but yeah. (laughs) Just do that. Just annoy him with a really really out there outlandish custom order. I mean, you'll pay for it, but I mean, can you really put a price on annoying someone? (laughs) Mate, thank you for... Thank you for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having it. me. Great I chat. appreciate it. And um, thanks for being so gentle last night. <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.